today on Copa Disaster. We're having fun, fun, fun till Mediator takes the T-Bird away. Hi, and welcome to Coco Disaster. I'm Chorpsaway, and today we have a very special guest. Hi, I'm friend of the show QB. It's friend of the show QB. Friend of the show QB. QB uh, has been one of the most uh, insistent fan mail writers and uh, people to talk to outside of the show about it. And I'm glad to have you back to talk about this show that you made me watch. Humanity has declined. Yes, this is a single serving on the show Humanity Has Declined, which is a light novel adaptation that came out in 2012. It's not nearly as old as most of the other ones we've done so far. It's pretty recent. So it ended in 20... In, oh, it started in 2012? The anime started in 2012. Okay. Uh, it's based on a light novel series that started, I think, 2008 and only just finished last year with some pretty big breaks in between, but uh, mm-hmm. we'll get a little more to that in a minute. So um, before we get into like the background info and stuff, what made you want to do this discussion on Humanity Has Declined? Like, what is it about the show? What is it about the history of the thing that, that made you interested in doing this episode? Um, Humanity Has Declined has always been one of my favorites, for just for anime in general. It's hard to point to that, like one specific thing it does really well, but it's very unique. Like, there, there aren't a whole lot of shows that are as, as unique as this one. Um, also, it's kind of it's helped by, uh, like, I, I you, you obviously recommended it to you very heavily, but um, I hadn't, mm-hmm. I, there were no expectations when it started airing in its season. It just got kind of spread by word of mouth. It was really a dark horse. Yeah, I feel like I haven't heard a lot about Humanity Has Declined, but the couple people who have watched it constantly reference back to it and talk about it, um, particularly with, like, sort of the 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 wackier moments of it which gives a very different perception from what it is like the way the fairies kind of speak about like the death of material culture or <laughs> the the gi- the giant cat with super moves fighting a squid like out of context humanity's decline could be construed as a very different show than it actually is like humanity's decline is very smart in a lot of ways but wraps itself in a lot of very goofy, over-the-top antics. Um, there's also a lot of, like, just strange stuff about its, uh, just its, like, designs, and, and there's a lot of very striking things about it. Um, the ordering of the episodes is um, anachronistic, which also make, lends it to being uh, pretty experimental and unique. Um, so I really thought it was just something that would be good for to, like, highlight in, the, in this kind of podcast. Yeah, um, and I, after watching it, I get it. Like, there's definitely, like, a lot to this that you might not expect from the art style or sort of the description. Like, 
nothing really lends itself to to really recommend this show except for really like analyzing it and like being able to talk about the things that really make it good. It's also really funny. Yeah, it's it's it is very funny in like not quite like a standard anime comedy way. Like it it gives something a little bit different to that and that's what makes it kind of cool. So a little bit of background on Humanity's Decline. Like we said, it's based on a light novel series that just ended last year. This anime came out at the time when the original novel series only had six out of 12 books out. So there wasn't a ton of material to work with. And uh, another book released like a few weeks after the anime started airing, long after they would have had the chance to like add that to the uh, to the docket. So there are a lot of two-episode stories that sometimes feel maybe a little longer than they should be, but all can have this like layered approach to storytelling that's very different. There's a lot of elements that uh, are surprising about it. You can understand how like, you know, these halves of books uh, ended up being like two episode stories. Um, the author of the series is Romeo Tanaka, who's probably more well known for his work on visual novels than light novels. He's worked writing for uh, visual novels such as Yumi Miro Kasuri, or Rewrite, or Cross Channel. Uh, Humanity Has Declined was his first light novel series, and other than that, he wrote one other light novel called uh, Aura, which uh, is like a one-off thing. And the studio behind this is um, AICASTA, or I guess AIC Asta, which is like this subset of a much larger anime production company. And this, this, like, this wing of their group hasn't done, like, a lot. Like, this is kind of the only real standout thing they've done, because the other things they have, like, are Persona 4, the animation, like, the first Persona 3 movie, Heaven's Lost Property, oh, like, Gun X Sword. Like, it's, it's a very, it's like a, it's just a kind of bad list of shows. Well, it's, this is definitely the, the most distinctive one on their list. Yeah, like, this is the one that really, like, stands out as, like, oh, they they got this, and they really did something with it. You can kind of compare it to, like, David Production and JoJo. Yeah, because, like, before JoJo, they just fucking didn't do anything. I mean, they you, had, you, like, you look at what they're doing besides JoJo, they got, you got Neptunia, you got Sagrada Reset. Uh. Yeah, like, it's just, it's it's baffling. Um, the I guess the one other thing is they, they produced uh, an OVA based on um, Aura, the other light novel by Romeo Tanaka. So there's that, and I don't know if that ever came over or anything or got any attention. I definitely haven't heard of but, it. But uh, something that might be interesting to look into. So, like, yeah, Humanity has declined is sort of this weird... It belongs to a studio that hasn't really done anything exciting. It's from an author who people aren't familiar with. Like, it's it's just this, it's this weird underdog that has a lot of, like, surprising elements to it. It's very pointed. It's very, like smart and satirical and has a lot to say and it's, it's wrapped it's satirical up. in a way that anime aren't usually yeah it's and it's it's just so distinct in a lot of ways like art style notwithstanding like there's just a whole bunch of it that's it it is very unique it is very different and i could see why maybe this show didn't get like a lot of recognition when it came out but i'm I'm surprised because it is very good to get that out of the way early.
So one of the first things that makes it difficult to recommend is and what on earth do we call the main character? Because <laughs> it's kind of a Tatami Galaxy situation. Yeah, the, um, the, the, the main character is really never... Uh, I mean, everyone in the show is kind of given a name based on their occupation or, like, their place. Like, you have assistant and you have grandpa and you have, why? like, you know, why. Like, they, they have very, like, simple, like, non-distinct names. And from what I understand in the books, uh, they... Or like from the fandom, they refer to her as Watashi because it's I. You know, it's a it's a self-referential thing. For the sake of this, we're going to be referring to her as Mediator because that's her position, and other people refer to her as Mediator. And I that was like through the whole thing. That's what I assumed. It, that's what makes sense for the whole consistency of it. Yep. As uh, QB said before, um, the the show is not in uh, chronological order. From what I understand, the books do follow a more chronological storytelling, but we end up, like, in book five to start. We end up pretty much at the tail end of what they had available to work with, and that is episodes one and two, which are the fairy's secret factory. But it's not its not like just that it's the later book. It, like, there are events that happened beforehand that are referenced in this first episode. <laughs> <laughs> right, like, you are, you are given a lot to, like, assume, I guess, because they, they make reference to, like, oh, Mediator cut her hair because she lost a bet, and that's never brought up besides, like, referencing it. So, like, there's a lot of stuff we're just left to assume, at least to start. Well, I mean, they, they don't explain why she cut her hair in this episode, but it, it, is, it is explained later. Right, eventually. So, this is, uh, this ends up being our introduction to these characters, and I guess it works because, uh, basically all of the major players do show up in this story. Like, it, it works in that way. So, we're in a nondescript future setting, uh, very rural. Uh, it's hard to talk about this show because I keep wanting to say, like, humanity has declined. Like, I'm just saying the title is very, like, it gives a very good description of the setting. Yeah, humanity has peaked, and this is the period after that, when they're on the decline. Right. So, they've sort of, like... Humanity has reached the point where their overconsumption has ultimately made them regress technologically and societally. Like, they, they've gone back to ver these very, like, rural villages, very sort of, you know, early colonization sort of tools and development outside of a few, like, anachronistic sort of things. But for the most part, like, men are going out to hunt the last few animals that exist. And, you know, there's very little to work with in terms of, like, grains and, um, and crops. It, it's definitely reaching the point where humanity is dying. Yep. Slow population problems. Yeah, so, uh, this story takes place in Camphorwood Village, nice rural place, where, uh, we meet the United Nations Conciliation Commission Mediator, our main character, also from now on known as Mediator. There's a great food shortage, and Mediator has been brought to provide meat for uh, the chickens that this village has that aren't harvested and can no longer lay eggs are going to be killed and turned into meat. And no one knows how to do that. <laughs> right. Like, a lot of knowledge has just been lost. Like, no one else knows how to kill chickens or, like, you know, make them ready for consumption. But due to Mediator's sort of, like, 
resistance to the idea of killing a live animal. They all escape and run away. And so there's just no meat for the village. We're then introduced to uh, the fairies, which are referred to as like present humans or sort of like the, the evolutionary divide between or like the evolutionary step. New humanity. I think they use a few times. Yes. So these fairies are tiny, like, I don't know, like less than a foot tall little human like creatures, like very chibi, like very super deformed style with these constant huge open mouth grins. And they subsist entirely on sweets and fun. Yep. So, like, Mediator is the only one left who knows how to make sweets, but she doesn't have the materials to make it as frequently, so these fairies don't get to eat as often, which means they don't get happy as often, and the happiness is, the, is how they, like, develop tools and how they repopulate. Like, it, everything is based around whether or not they are having fun, and if they aren't, they also go on this, like... Uh, they go on this own form of decline. Um, it seems like their 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 fate is not entirely tied with humans producing sweets, though. Like they can subsist on nectar and stuff. It seems like, but they they just, they just really like sweets. Yeah, and so mediator exists to be the go between for fairies and humans, sort of like passing along the knowledge, passing along the duties, I guess. And getting the fairies to sort of work together with humans, hopefully to prevent the extinction of humans. So I guess we can go over the main characters besides the mediator, who is the mediator. Um, you have her grandfather, who is also the mediator. Right, and is named Grandpa. He'll be referred to as Grandpa for the rest of the show. Yep. And we have his assistant, assistant. assistant. And assistant ends up doing a lot more work for mediator than for Grandpa, because mediator is the one who goes out, while Grandpa just like hangs around and plays with his guns like he has a lot of guns yeah so the the thing about the fairies is that they are very smart but they talk in a very cutesy way and they always have this dumb grin on so when you see one of the fairies go like is this the you know is this the end of a material culture and like you know things about that that are kind of pointed about the destruction of humanity it's very like it's a very good, weird juxtaposition. Also, like, they talk about starving and stuff, and, like, it is a little unsettling, because they, they still have all these very happy faces as they talk about very grim things. Yeah, so this, this is something that'll come up, like, as, as you watch the show, you'll get more used to seeing the fairies and how they, how they act and what they, what they are capable of. Um, but the inciting incident in this episode is when suddenly, while they're moaning about having no food, she happens to moan to some fairies she keeps in her house. And once the fairies yeah. know that, they start taking action. Yeah, so uh, at some point, it turns out that some place called Fairy Co. is sending these processed foods to the town. And there are humans that are kind of wary of it, but it's all these sort of great things that they wouldn't have otherwise. They have, you know, like, canned beets and they have like sardines and stuff and like you know they, they give a hair growth medication specifically to mediator uh to, to help her grow her hair back after she lost it in some unexplained bet and so they have this meeting about the chickens that ran away yesterday <laughs> and they they have to go hunting to try to go find them it mediator realizes it's meaningless but she points out we must demonstrate that we took action even if our actions are meaningless which is this weird Again, there are weird, like, points of very pointed commentary and stuff. Like, the way she speaks, it's very frank. It's very, like, 
it's it's funny in a very dry way. I think one of the things that makes the show unique is how it it, it does that kind of pointed criticism, but it's also like it's very fun about it at the same time. Like it's not mean in the in the in the least, but it like this this entire two episode arc is just a complete blasting of go, of like government and management structure in general and companies. <laughs> like to to like it's so it's so blatant. Like you can't. You have to like step back a bit to see just how far how far they're going with it, right? And, and that'll get into more because as they're searching for this, they do stumble upon one of the chickens, or they think it's one of the chickens. It's a, it is a dead, cleaned chicken that is running around, and they find stamped on like stamped on the thigh of one of them is a, a fairy co symbol. So it turns out that Mediator, Assistant, and Grandpa are going to go check out Fairyco and see what's happening. Because this is, like, a weird fucking event. And it's going to be really hard to explain to the humans, like, oh, we found these chickens, but they're dead and, you know, cleaned and running around and alive. It's, it, it, like, it's a weird thing. <laughs> and so they go to check out the Fairyco, which is this, almost like a toy house, kind of, like, very colorful and very sort of like precarious in the way that it's held up but supposedly no fairies work at fairy co they do find one though just kind of hanging out yeah they find one that that's hanging out and they kind of use it as like a compass to to help guide them but there's there's like a there's like a guy working at the front desk who's willing to give them this guide through the you know this tour through the uh through the factory and it seems like this this factory just sort of started up one day, and so they've been hiring these people, and no one knows who, like, upper management is, and no one knows who's running it, but it's running, it's creating food, so everyone's kind of okay with it. Uh, all they know is they're being paid, and they don't question it. Yeah. And so they, they go through, and they're seeing these sort of, like, assembly machines working on their own, creating these sort of processed fake foods, and they get introduced to... <laughs> um. The, 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 the sequence by this, this talking, like, robot loaf of bread. And it talks about how you can make bread out of anything, even, like, garbage. But the problem is that it's going to taste like the thing that you make it out of. So garbage bread tastes like garbage, and they're trying to work on that. Yeah, the, fairy, the fairies didn't really think it through. Like, it's giving this very sweet, cute vibe to it. And then, at the very end, this bread robot's, like... The bread that we make doesn't taste great, but who would know? No one's had real bread for forever. And eventually it, like, asks uh, everyone if it wants to try some, and just rips itself in half, spewing carrot juice, which the the bread has been made out of, just onto everyone like blood spill. It's just... (laughs) So that's that's the first impression of the show. Right, because that's the end of the first episode, is this, this bread robot, like, committing suicide and just spewing carrot juice over everywhere. And it ends with this really great dry joke of the, the tour guide getting going, hey, do you want some... So, like, very awkward, like, hey, so you want some bread now? And uh, Mediator just gives, like, a really dead, like, no thanks. Uh, episode cut, you know? Like, it's it's a very strong opening and a very strong ending to that opening. Um, well, while we're still in the first episode, it also kind of introduces Mediator and her, like approach to her job where she like like she's talking to some girls and in the back of her mind she's just like yeah my job is basically to manipulate information and keep people in line 
Like she 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 kind of has a dark personality, even she though she does not show it whatsoever. Yeah, and she definitely seems to like hate her job. Well, it seems like she hates everyone else she works with. So I think she's I think she's a fine at her job, but it's 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 she she knows how useless it is and how worthless the government right. is and how humanity is definitely going extinct at this rate. Right. So we start episode two. They're continuing the tour, and suddenly Grandpa gets completely separated from the group. Uh, the receptionist goes to see where he's gone, how he got lost in this, you know, like, pretty direct tunnel, and he gets lost too. So, now it's just Mediator and Assistant left, and to note, Assistant is, uh, mute? Yeah, that's why he hasn't been talking much. Yeah, <laughs> Assistant speaks in, like, notes and stuff, like, he keeps, a, a like, a drawing pad around. He also kind of gives pointed looks to Mediator, and then Mediator translates. Right, he... Pretty good at, you know, not using words to, to, to describe, but he's he gets the point across. So everyone ends up lost. Uh, mediator and assistant go on ahead, and they end up lost. So they try to use the, the, the compass ferry that they found to, to, to figure out where to go to figure out this whole fairy co thing. And that's where we learn that fairies reproduce naturally when they have fun. So the more fun a fairy has the more they reproduce and the more the population grows. Uh, through a set of kind of wacky situations, they end up on a disposal conveyor belt, which is about to kill Mediator, but she ends up getting saved by someone who is working here, who is the director. So he, he's one level above the receptionist, but he seems to have almost no additional responsibilities. And he equally has no idea about any of the higher management. And here we learn that Grandpa is the bureau chief, also like a, a mediator for the UN. Uh, we we get a little bit of information more on how Mediator lost her hair, which is over something called the Human Monument Inquiry <laughs> that she messed up. So using uh, the director's new information, they make it up to sort of the 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 boss's room, where immediately... The director falls into a hole, they, r removing him from the story entirely. Yep, he doesn't come back. He, he might be dead. <laughs> he might, we don't know. The double doors open, and Mediator is, has quite a shock at what's behind the door. Which it turns out that these skinned dead chickens that have been running around are in fact now running the, the company of Fairy Co. They literally say the line, the executives of this company are all headless chickens. <laughs> Yes. Um, they, they make a note about how all intelligent life forms are judged on their taste, which is why they're very rude to Mediator, because humans taste bad. Well, they can't, she can't understand them until the fairy gives her some translating glasses. Right, like, they're speaking in Japanese for the sake of the, the show, but, you know, Mediator can't hear it, and then she's given translation glasses, which, again, it's a weird, like, kind of pointed, like, uh, commentary, because it has this issue where it's like, kind of localizing the subs and kind of giving really indirect <laughs> translations. So it's it's a weird thing that I don't know is, like, an attack on translations or not. Like, I, I, I think it's just trying to show that the fairies' uh, stuff works kinda, but a lot of the time it kind of misses the point. It's a good joke, though. Like, it, it, it cuts all subtlety from what the chickens are saying. It's really good. Because we were definitely taking them seriously as headless chickens already. Right, you know, the dramatic music is playing and everything, it really makes you... So, the chickens hope to build weapons in Fairyco to take out human society for, you know, the 
the the crimes that they've had against other chicken kind. Right, and so the second the second mediator hears that her life is being threatened, she immediately pulls out a knife and starts walking at them. <laughs> right, um, which they're um, they are all just frightened as hell because of it. Like they are not ready to fight even a little bit. Yeah, but one of them hits one of them hits a button and locks her in a cage, so she doesn't get to shank a bitch. But yep, uh, so uh, she's caught in the cage, and as these chickens talk about their plans. Uh, assistant appears, he got lost at some point, and he's back now, um, and he has a camera, and he's taking pictures of all of these, uh, headless chickens in order to get, like, an exclusive scoop and to show people, you know, what's going on here. And the chickens are so frightened of being, like, outed that they all end up jumping from a very tall, uh, window, or they jump from, like, a, uh... Yeah, it's a, it's a cliff face. (laughs) Yeah, and they all and they all just fucking die from the from the impact. So uh, much earlier, maybe like the the first scene of the anime, there was a character who was little, who was depressed, and had a bunch of sisters that she couldn't feed. That was living in a, in a nearby church. Yeah. So the cliff that the chickens jump off of is right up, is right on top of that church, which leads to an amazing scene. Yeah, there's this great scene at the end where. This 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 girl is taking care of all these orphans and like oh we don't have any meat to eat we're gonna have to feed them like this this terrible soup and she's looking up at the stained glass window making a prayer and as soon as it finishes just tons of these headless dead chickens crash through the stained glass window as Ave Maria plays <laughs> God bless us everyone it's raining birds. And so we also find out that Mediator's hair has become sentient, uh, thanks to the fairy hair growth solution, and it turns out that the hair is the thing that's been saving her all of these times in the factory when she should have died or she was stuck in the cage and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it does turn out that the fairies were working at the factory to help supplant the so- shortages, maybe, but when they made the chickens, the chickens kind of took them over. And kind of uh, put them in, like, individual action figure wrappings to keep them from getting back at the chickens. So this, the first two episodes are, was, like, the impression that, like, in the season it came out, people had no idea what to expect from this show. And no one knew what this series was. So when, like, when these two episodes came out, we were like, holy, wow, wow, this is actually really funny. And, like, this is some, something special. So that's the, around two weeks is um, when I started watching it, actually. Okay, because, yeah, it is it is a very, like, there a lot happens in this opening, but it's not overwhelming. And it really, like, introduces you to the very unique world that humanity has declined has produced. Like, they've put together something really, really different. Uh, like, anime don't really do dark comedy all that well, but this one pulls it all the way off. Yeah, it it does a, it does a really good job by making sure it's kind of understated, not really like always pushing it to the forefront. Like it's it's done it's done really well. It's balanced really well as a show. So the next episode is the fairies subculture, which is uh very trope laden, very it's extreme extremely meta, heavy on parody, and it's. It's a wild ride. So let's. So this episode introduces um, mediators, uh, or uh, mediators' eccentric friend, 
Y, who they know from school. She also works in the government, technically, as far as that means anything at all, when government does nothing. Yeah, she, but She works on something, she's working on the Human Monument, which is a celebration of human history and culture. It is notably making no progress whatsoever. Right, like, uh, she, she is introduced having just spent three years worth of pay on buying, like, a very old-timey car to drive around. <laughs> so, why is a government worker and a above mediator in terms of um, position. So mediator is required to help her on this mission that she came to Camphor Village for, Camphor Wood Village for, uh, which is that someone that had a big mansion still died recently, and apparently it is full of sort of incredible human technology and data that would be important for preserving the, the culture of pre-decline humanity. But Wysan finds uh, something that's much uh, closer to her interests, which is a printing press. Yeah, they finds a printing press, and using it, they're able to print, like, the last, whatever the last thing in the printer was, they're able to use based on one of the jobs left in it. And it turns out that the last thing it was used for is to uh, produce yaoi manga. Stories about boys who are more than friends. Right, they, th that is how they constantly refer to it as, is boys that are more than friends. So, here they have discovered the lost technology of manga, because as it turns out, there's no equivalent in this declined humanity, there is no sort of like, uh, there is no media like this. And so, everyone in Camphorwood Village and the surrounding villages just becomes, like, crazy obsessed with the manga that uh, that turns out to be in this mansion. Uh, they, they even rename it to The Manga Mansion. Um, so there, there's a little bit of subtext that uh, the gender divide is a little skewed towards uh, females at the current, at the current uh, population density of humans. So there's a whole lot of women and not a lot of young guys. <laughs> yeah, so this, this plays into sort of this decline of humanity. Um, so <laughs> they find just Hundreds and hundreds of diskettes of, like, manga scans that are, like, partially corrupted in some way, so Y gets all of these people in Camphorwood Village around the clock to be, like, restoring the manga and sort of trying to rebuild it from the fragments they can find. So they're trying to make this huge business out of these leftover boys love manga that they find. It's literally the last, the last boom of human culture. <laughs> And so, turns out that Y is a huge otaku who likes moe and boys love, like, just super into this. This is 100% her interests. And Mediator does not read that crap. Right. Mediator is very, like, not into that sort of thing. But Y wants to kind of bring back the manga bubble with exclusively producing boys love. So, they're producing boys love. Uh, uh, Mediator worries that the fairies are going to want to join in and make, like, whatever weird perversion of boys love manga they'd make with their with their kind of vague understanding of humanity and human culture so like she, she's she's distinctly worried about this eventuality like throughout the entire episode and then the one the so it, as the episode develops towards the very end she kind of lets down her guard for one second and the fairies it goes to hell thing but like but like as the as the boys love gets popular like women all over the country are falling in love with it um People from other villages start creating their own boys' love things. Like, 
they have recreated the manga boom, but exclusively with stories of boys that are more than friends. <laughs> Just all over, they're, they're shipping world, you know, countrywide and create it. They basically create fandom. So, <laughs> again, how it develops is they do their own comic hit at, at, at the Camperwood uh, Manor. Yeah, eventually they, eventually they build their own comic hat. They have this convention where everyone's selling their own boys love. It's a great celebration of this this common ground. Like, there's a line, like, miles and miles back for people to get in. Like, they've, they've, they really have recreated sort of the culture of manga. So, like, there, there's a little bit of drama with why trying to have a monopoly over the entire culture, but it just, uh, it ends up fragmenting anyway because... A lot of the other people want to make stuff too, not just her. Yeah, and she seems to come to accept it by the end that, you know, this isn't just something exclusively for her, this is something to be shared and to be to be explored. And so when Mediator kind of puts down her guard after this whole thing, very, you know, dealing with it, uh, she opens up uh, a, a boy's love book that happens to be on Grandpa's desk, and Grandpa's nowhere to be found. And when she opens it, it teleports her into the panel of a magic fairy boys love manga it seems to just be a manga uh, yeah it's probably boys love because there's no other manga existing uh, yeah what other <laughs> manga exists like not only in the show but also in real life but um yeah, so it's it starts to get very meta here it's so this, mm. this is actually where the episode starts. It's like the, the cold opening is both in media res. It starts at a close-up of an eye. It ends on a heavy cliffhanger. And like, they, they use every single cold open trope you've ever seen. But it's just the three of them like hanging out in a panel. Like, there is no other action. Like, it's, and they don't explain it until the very end of the episode. <laughs> if at all. It's, it's really good. So episode four, we find that they're in the void. Assistant is here. Um, y is here, and so is Mediator. So, uh, they they try a bunch of ways to try to get out of the void, and ultimately it turns out that someone is surprised by something, and so they 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 make one of the like shocked sounds that shows up in manga, and it appears behind them on the white void. So it turns out that in order to move from panel to panel, because they end up in a different white void, they constantly have to make something dramatic happen. Something that causes a response. Something that would necessitate another page. Right. And so they they try... They, they kind of go over, like, tropes at this point. Because Wysan is so experienced in this stuff that she immediately tries everything she knows, which is pop culture. Right, and she's, like, trying... She's talking about, like, sports stuff, and so they try playing, like, chess because... Quote, analog games are moe. <laughs> and she talks about the ability to, like, ship chess pieces. It's it's wild. She, she's very high level. <laughs> yeah, eventually they find out that with Assistant's uh, art tools, he can draw stuff in the background and make it become real. Which suddenly makes it a lot easier for them to, to create these sort of different experiences. Because they get to leave each panel as long as they do something interesting. Uh, and it and it literally makes the floor above them like ascend. Uh, if they do something boring that isn't capturing people's interest, they descend, and they find out that like they're like living or dying by a ratings panel. Like if they 
if they do poorly enough and like do too many boring things at once, they're going to get canceled. So we're, it's, not, it's not sure what they mean by that, but they the, basically they they decide to make a hole in the page, and they then they look into the margins, and that's where the fairies are. They haven't they haven't actually shown up at, at any point before this, but turns out they were turns out they were in the margins of the page the whole time. Yeah, and they're like writing notes and stuff, and they're like writing the check out next volume when whatever whatever happens. Like they're the ones that are kind of like doing the the outside work while uh, Y and Mediator and Assistant are all doing like the actual like storyboarding and development stuff. And they they just do a ton of parody and stuff like. It goes through like all the gamuts. Like I recognize like a, a Saint Seiya thing. I recognize like a a huge JoJo's thing. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure why why does the Code Geass pose? Yeah, there's that too. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff there, and it's very so, it's very cute. Like, it's the charming. idea is that why that why is doing only the the climaxes of everything that she that she's read, <laughs> which can only hold their interest for so long because they have no actual story or anything, and she because because she's producing your story entirely out of twists. Yeah, so so they have to come up with an ending at some point, or they'll die if the ratings drop. And why believes that uh, as long as you have anticipation and impact, content doesn't matter. So she like it. They they do kind of a like a montage of ending sequences where it's just like twist after twist after twist to the point where the fairies in the margins have no idea where the story is going, have no idea how to like move from chapter to chapter. And it works for a while. They make it up to the top of whatever like charts that exist in this manga universe. But eventually Y ends up becoming predictable. There's all these, you know, all these twists. It's just twist after twist with no resolution and people are getting bored of it. So... Ultimately, they have to sit down and they try to retcon the story far back enough to be something acceptable. I think they mentioned it takes like 240 panels. <laughs> yeah, it take, it, yeah, it takes like 240 panels to retcon their way back to a sensible, um, a sensible story, which just ends up being uh, a, an adaptation of A Midsummer Night's Dream by Shakespeare. It seems like a lot of stories end up that way, huh? <laughs> yeah. And so, ultimately, it turns out that they... Due to all these different sort of changing expectations and stuff, uh, there's no interest. They constantly are descending, and eventually it it gets super meta, where like they they start to devolve as characters. Like suddenly they turn into sketches, and then they turn into storyboards, and they're describing all this. Like we've reached the point where only the storyboards are being published because no one cares about the content. It gets this weirdly meta, and eventually they all just kind of disappear. And so they've they've kind of been given this this uh, this vague threat of what being canceled means, and it turns out that the the punishment for them getting canceled as a manga is that they have to return to the real world doing what they've always done. And particularly, Mediator sees this as like a punishment: is oh, suddenly she has to do her work again and <laughs> you know deal with the bullshit of real life. <sighs> and so that's the last story uh, chronologically. <laughs> Um, the first two stories go in order, and after this, it's, it is sort of just jumping back and forth to now, now that you've kind of gotten inundated with the world, it's now trying to sort of give introductions to everything more properly. Because, like, specifically, the fa- the fairies haven't shown up as much. Like, they, they're, they're there, like, but, but, like, in the last one, they were just 
like on on the sidelines the entire time. It was all about um, the human culture at right. that point. But now it's now now there, there's there it's still about human culture. But now they're just kind of easing into what the fairies do. Specifically, they uh, come up with a book in this episode in this next episode that we're going to talk about. Yeah, the the fairies start to take a lot more of a major role now because the, I. In fact, like, there are just fewer uh, characters, like, human characters that start taking part. So this one is uh, episodes five and six, The Fairy's Homecoming. This is sort of like a, a tech episode. So it, it opens with a, like, a something falling from space. Uh, and it's like a monolith or something, but that, that's going to be ignored for most of the episode until it becomes important. But a monolith drops from space in time for the director to show up at... Camferwood Village, and this is the first time director and uh, mediator meet. Uh, this is the introduction to the Human Monument Project, which, as we talked about before, is sort of the celebration of human culture and technology and science as, you know, whatever they can find that produces this, you know, that shows the, the human culture pre the decline, they're, they're trying to celebrate and trying to sort of um, reclaim. And uh, it most importantly is like the, the director has, has found like a generator to create electricity. So they're doing the all, you know, they're going to be playing with a lot of electricity and doing a big um, festival to celebrate these developments. And they're, they're hoping to do an exploration of some nearby ruins for extra like tech that they could find. And here we find that all of the fairies are going to leave the village, because it turns out that fairies die when exposed to electromagnetic waves. And there's going to be a lot of electricity at this festival, so they leave so that they don't die. And they, they sort of make these weird threats towards, <laughs> um, towards Mediator, like, hey, we tried to talk to you earlier in the episode about, you know, not having this festival, but you didn't listen to us and you didn't pay attention to us, so you know, there's going to be trouble ahead. Like, it's really, it's really sort of unnerving. And it turns out that a high density of fairies brings good luck just in general. Mm -hmm. they, they literally give her a very small book that has a numerical system for uh, how this phenomenon works. Right. And so it's like, if there are a lot of fairies, it, you know, the possibilities are, like, if you fall from a 20-foot a, a, a building, like, you're going to be fine. It's going to, like, like, the ground is going to bounce and things like that. Like, you learn how to fly suddenly or something. Right, or, like, if you get stabbed, like, there's no, not going to be an issue. It's just going to heal. And then, as you get lower and lower, more dangerous things happen until, with no fairies, it's as if, you know, humanity had no luck at all. Things are just going to happen as they would normally happen. Like, if you, if you, if you jump off a building, you go spot Right. That's it. And so it's possible that the only reason Camferwood has survived is because of the fairies. Like, it gives this vague vibe that, like, everything that happens in this story only happens to go well because fairies exist or are in the area. I mean, this, this, this is a notion that fairies being around makes plot convenient things happen and causes things to become sillier and less life-threatening is actually something you can extrapolate to almost every episode and, and the opening and ending of this series. Yeah, like, you you make a realization that, oh, all these weird, wacky things are happening. Oh, it's probably just because fairies exist. And I think that's a good enough, like, world explanation for why these things happen, because it's already so fantastical in general. 
that's like, yeah, sure. The, the sheer existence of fairies is why all this gets to happen. Um, also, like, the, there's there's some distinct differences in episodes that have fairies and ones that don't have fairies. But also, like, no, another difference is uh, in between the opening and ending themes. The opening is by NaNoWripe. It's really bouncy and ridiculous. Like, fairies are coming out of the walls. There's a silly dance. It's just it's hyperactive and colorful. And there's, like, a million fairies in it. But the ending theme has some first, a few fairies in the background, but it's really just like a slow and somber song with like the mediator in the in the in the foreground, and it ends with her body decomposing while fairy society goes on behind her. Yeah, it's weird like that. But um, so it turns out that the director has found this satellite that they're pulling all this electricity from, and mediator ends up at this festival meeting a cat girl. Yeah, a cat girl. Yeah. Named Peon, she thinks. She's not really sure. She seems to be not doing well. And the the way she talks is she's very clearly a robot. Yeah, she talks about, like, you know, melting down and not being able to access memory. But she's very convinced she's a human. Um, She is looking for a companion named Oyag, she thinks. Again, her memory is very faulty, but she believes this. And... Sort of with Mediator not knowing anything, Peon just kind of leaves and kind of does her own sort of exploration to try to find her companion. So at this at this point, a Mediator and Assistant go venturing into the techno in the, the human technology ruins. Right. So they're trying to find culture. It's the next day, and they get completely lost like an hour in. Right. They 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 stumble into a magic elevator. They start pressing random buttons, and they just like they don't know where they've ended up. They find the grave of someone named Oyage, and so they they assume that this is, you know, the companion that Peon's looking for, that he's dead. Uh, And they're stranded. Uh, The elevator has disappeared behind them as they stumbled onto this grave. And they kind of go on this exploration of this huge maze-like system, and eventually find themselves, like, in a building, like, 20 stories in the air, in the middle of Camphorwood. Uh, they try to call for help so that someone can help find them, but their radio dies, and so they're left to explore on their own. Um, one fairy decided to stay behind for the sake of Mediator uh, by turning into like an inanimate object so that the electromagnetic waves wouldn't harm him. And so there's there's at least one fairy left to give a little bit of luck to the uh, to the humans. Uh, they they stumble through this this big building and find a lot of discarded electronics and another monolith like the one that fell from space. There are all these slimes that end up attacking them, and they end up finding um, a hospital inside this big structure with a working computer. And through being able to get it, because there's all kinds of electricity still in this building. They find that Camphorwood was, or not Camphorwood, but the, the, the structure that they're in was built to block out electromagnetic waves in sort of like a fear-mongering thing. And eventually the residents got so comfortable that they were scared to leave. And they refer to it as a whole town of Hikikomori, or a whole town of shut-ins. And at this point they're attacked by a robo-dog, and Peon shows up and kicks the shit out of this robo-dog. Yep. So Peon is here to help Mediator, who helped Peon find electricity to help power her. Because again, she's a robot. And because she's a robot, I guess, she can't see fairies. Yep. 
I think I think the difference might might have been like she was programmed by humans, so her sensors wouldn't be able to pick up on fairies or something. Possibly. And so through this continued exploration, they eventually find Oyage, who's voiced by a character who voices a lot of, or at least one prominent Chuni character that I recognize, the one from um, my teen romantic comedy Snafu. I, re- I recognize him as like the like Viral and Link. <laughs> But he, he's he got a perfect voice for being sort of this over-the-top, like, kind of wild ner- dude, you know? Catboy. Yeah. He's also a catboy, right. So, they meet the two, they both have these faulty memory banks, so they're, they keep not getting each other's names right. It turns out that the robots are the monoliths that they found earlier, and they just needed power to be able to, uh... <laughs> They find, to they find this out when, when Peon just kind of depowers and turns into a monolith with legs and arms. <laughs> right. Um, there's, this, there's this big fight between um, Oyage and Peon and the team, because Oyage doesn't want to get his memories back for some reason. He doesn't know why, he just knows he doesn't want them, so he's fighting against them. He has this thing called the Killdozer. At some point, they stumble into this, like, fantasy world under the town in the building in the town like they they end up stumbling into this very like fanciful civilization um they're like oyage turns into a giant cat the uh fairies turn into a a, a squid they only had they only had one fairy but it multiplied as people were having fun so right so eventually it was able to turn into this just huge squid and there's this fight i don't know it's weird (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the thing is that like as the as the fairies multiply and in, in, into completely absurd numbers, the episode in turn becomes more absurd. Yeah, it gets weirder and weirder. Like eventually, uh, they start collecting a bunch of like microwaves and shoot them at Oyage to kind of uh, to kind of force him into self repair mode, which is a thing that Peon notes as a thing in their in their circuitry. So basic, basically, basically, it's it's microwaves. They they use some microwaves or something. Right, they they use some kind of, like, microwaves, and they just, like, shoot all the heat at him, like a laser, and he for- he forces self-repair, his memory returns, and it turns out that Peon is the Pioneer Space program- <laughs> uh, Probe, and Oyage is the Voyager Space Probe, and the Voyager came back to Earth to avoid doing this really lonely, depressing work. And the pioneer came back to find him, and they both sort of like just lost their memories due to to, to due to decay because you don't know how long they've been here. Ultimately, they both realize that they don't want to go back out there. They prefer to live on Earth where it's warm, as they say. And so, in order to sort of protect everything in like protect everything in the village, the fairies, these two probes, a mediator sabotages the generator that they had brought for the Human Monument uh, Festival to keep the probes landed so that no one knows that they're probes to bring the fairies back so there's no EM waves. And because of this failure, she is like considered like a, almost a war criminal, and her punishment is to get her hair cut, which is why in episode one, her hair is cut. So we finally get an explanation for that. It turns into a weirdly sentimental episode by the end. Yep. Like, in, in humanizing these space probes and sort of the lonely work that we send, like, robots out to do. Like, with enough self-awareness, they realize just how sort of depressing 
uh, it is to to do this work and they try to come back to to live among the people but uh next episode or next story is probably the wackiest it's it's the most high concept and psychological one and also the dumbest one maybe (laughs) yeah oh my god so the fairy's time management episode seven and eight is i guess sort of an explanation of assistant's character it's very it's very very roundabout about it (laughs) right like it it's almost an afterthought like it's they wrote a story and they're also like, oh, well, you know, we could we could fit assistant into this. <laughs> um, so one thing we learn in this is that grandpa's job, I guess, is to sit in his office all day uh, maintaining his gun collection. And like the thing you can notice about his office is there's a lot of bullet holes in the background. <laughs> so he right, kind of so- sits, sits at his desk and fires bullets just all day. And it's kind of a good metaphor for government when you think about it. Wow! Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Wow. <laughs> so, um, so mediator is sent to. Okay, so first of all, mediator uh, is confirmed here to be one of the last confectioners left in the world. This takes um, even before the previous story, because assistant isn't around, and sort of about her and her work with the fairies, creating like cakes and stuff for them so that they stay uh, satiated. Yeah, but. But like 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 a lot of the other stories that we've seen already, she happens to say something like, "Oh, I wish I had more time to do things," and the fairies respond, "Oh, you mean like clones?" And he's like, "No, no clones, please, no clones." <laughs> but it's already far too late. <laughs> right. So uh, she is sent to go get assistant, who is like in the hospital in a different village for some reason. Yeah, she hasn't met assistant yet. Right. So this this would be the first the first time she ever ever meets assistant. But right before that happens, um, uh, she gets given a banana. <laughs> yeah, on the way she meets a fairy who gives her a banana, and Meteor's like, "Oh, this doesn't have any flavor." And the fairy goes, "Oh, you wanted flavor, okay," and then leaves. And you know that's that's it. Um, Grandpa shows up on a chariot <laughs> afterwards, just like, "Hey, why aren't you doing your job?" He refers to it as his wheels. <laughs> Yeah, his, his wheels. And so she makes it to the village late, um, I think like three hours late to, to pick him up. And it turns out that Grandpa's assistant has run away from the hospital. Um, something else that happens a little bit before this in the timeline, which is going to become very important. Um, she gets given a sundial watch, um, which ironically right, is which the sucks. worst thing at telling time she could, he could, she could right. possibly have. But uh, yeah, she has a wrist sundial, and so... Uh, because assistant ran away, she's going to explore the forest around, and the doctor who was taking care of him uh, is going to explore the town to make sure they can find him. While she's in the forest, uh, uh, she sees a clone of herself. Doesn't pay much attention to it, but uh, it turns out that there's this this oven in the middle of the forest, and as she's inspecting it, uh, she trips on a banana peel, <laughs> passes out, and she wakes up back in Camferwood Village uh, approximately several hours before she tripped. So then it turns out that the, you know, she does the whole thing again and she notices it's a little weird. Like, 
she notices there's some repetition, but not sure, like, you know, really what's causing this sense of deja vu. And around this point, she starts noticing some mysterious dogs looking at her. Yeah, she notices some dogs, but, you know, doesn't really do anything. And this time she gets the banana and from the fairy again. And banana's good. Uh, tastes good. It's great. They're, they're, rare, they're rare food in this era, so there's no reason why she wouldn't um, reject it. Why she, why she, why she would, wouldn't eat it, of course. Right. So she goes through the same thing again. Assistants run away. She goes into the forest. There are a lot more mediators this time. And uh, she trips and time turns back and it, it just keeps repeating for a while. This, this is a very confusing episode. <laughs> yeah, so this banana keeps pop- Like, they kind of do the repetition three or four times so you really understand it. And, and they keep track of the time loops. They, they, they put in right. the corner what loop, what loop it's on, even if mediators understand what's happening. Right. Uh, banana keeps popping up. Dogs keep appearing. Uh, the, 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 fairy, the fairies develop a banana that um, has you trip before you eat it. Right, it's wild. <laughs> so, on each loop, it seems, though, that she's learning different things about the assistant. Fr- from herself. <laughs> no, from uh, the doctor. Well, she, she talks to the doctor well, sometimes, but a lot of the details she gets for, for, are from the she gets. She also herself. gets different details from her other versions of her in the forest. So... Assistant has no memories, no sense of self, or the ability to speak. That's how they found him originally. And they kind of talk about, like, you know, no one really seems to know what Assistant looks like. Yeah, no one can remember his, what he looks like at all. Right, they talk about, like, oh, I've, I've seen him, but as soon as I look away, I have no idea what he looks like. So, so something that we haven't really talked about, because it's kind of hard to talk about the assistant in any capacity, is that in, in like, the first half of the series, the one thing that he kind of he has is a pretty strong sense of self. Like, in, mm-hmm. like he tells, his, tells that joke in the first two episodes, he, like, constantly wants to show his, like, the artwork he does in, during the technology episode, mm-hmm. but... He, he doesn't do it verbally, so it's a little difficult to mention, but... Yeah, and so um, it turns out that the the fairies have, like, created a spot in the forest that is disconnected from time, which is why every time she shows up there, there are more and more clones, there's this whole thing going on, they're, like, baking stuff for the fairies, and again, this is how the fairies have developed a way for her to just have time to make sweets for them. Without clones. Right. No clones well, here. I guess... Sort of. They're time. They're time offset clones. It's very different. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, it it's the cause of the banana. And one of the one of the time loops, she's like, "Oh, I'm not gonna eat the banana. I'm gonna make sweets from it." You know, for the for the uh, the fairies. And it turns out it doesn't matter. She still undid the banana. She ends up being <laughs> tripping on the banana peel, anyways. So something she notices, like among her uh, time offset um, partners, I guess, is that some of them have sundials, some of them don't, and so, so, so that's that's how she's able to identify the ones that can tell her about about what the assistant is like. And some, and a lot of the discussions they have are like, oh, you know, hey, I need to go look for the assistant. And everyone else is like, I do too. And it's like, well, do you know what the the assistant looks like? And a lot of them answer. What do you think the assistant looks like? Well, it's more like, what, what do you want the assistant to look like? 
is the, yeah. is the main question that's actually being asked. It's very, very roundabout. They kind of like describe all the things that he's not in order to produce this this guy. <laughs> Right, and the and and the 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 mediator we're following at that time, outside of her understanding of why she does it, says, "Oh well, he he really loves Hawaiian shirts. Like that's the one thing, without a doubt, that she can think about when it comes to the the assistant. She doesn't know why she think, thinks this, but eventually the the fairies give up on this. They've they've gotten enough sweets, so they they make time normal again." You know, don't, don't they give her a banana that fixes everything or something? Mediator gets a new, just not broken banana. She just gets to eat a banana, finally. <laughs> and she shows up to the village. There are just, like, tens of dogs in this village. So many dogs. And Assistant is there. At the and the very end, like, Assistant turns his head around to meet uh, Mediator's eyes. Uh, anyways, Episode 8 is sort of, like, filling in the blanks of Episode 7. Yeah. <laughs> And so we we learn that the assistant is kind of they again they refer to him as like undefined or obscure, um, and he comes from some ethnic minority from a faraway land where he is the the last member is what they say, and that like he basically has no connection to his uh, original like he doesn't have anything connection to his culture, um, and there's this impression that since people can't picture him. When they're not directly looking at him, it's possible that Assistant bases his appearance on other people's impressions of him, kind of being different to each person based on what they want out of him. Like, he doesn't actually have a body or something. They talk about Assistant having no personality, basically completely unmemorable. And we, we learn that maybe everyone was kind of aware of the time loop. Besides just Mediator, because the, the the Doctor is giving all these different information to Mediator each time. And the, the, even, even the Doctor starts noticing the deja vu at some point. Right, and starts giving different information. He's like a blank canvas, you know. It seems like he runs away frequently in order to discover a self, a personality for himself. Um, on one of the time loops... It seems like Mediator meets the assistant, but it's a very different assistant. This is an assistant who's like a, who's like a shithead, <laughs> a real asshole. Um, very so this, horny. It, it does, it does look like assistant does, but um, like with sunglasses, and he's like acting like a cowboy, and he's very, very horny. But like not not in, not in like the normal anime way. He's very obsessed with reproduction, almost like he's right. one of the last boys on Earth or something. I don't know how that would happen, but. And it's just, it's, like, really disgusting. But I think that that's, you know, it's its to a point, it still sucks, but it's to a point. And the, and the mediator treats him as we would. <laughs> as a little shit. Right. Uh, yeah, pushing him away, just kind of disgusted by him, which is right. Um, I, I actually, I'm looking through my notes, and uh, right next to each other I have, wow, this kid fucking sucks, and wow, this sucks. Uh, which I think describes <laughs> this just whole timeline. But um, this kid ends up stealing the watch from Mediator and running away with it. Which, well, that'll come up later. Uh, so, he runs away with the watch and uh, she trips and, you know, the, the time loop rehappens. And this only happens sometimes. Not entirely sure, you know, what caused this difference right now. And this is, yeah, so eventually... 
it turns out that, you know, because Mediator thought this was the assistant, her opinions on who assistant is, is based on this kid that she met. Um, Only not a shithead. Right. Who does refer to himself as an assistant. Like, and so, like, eventually they they finally meet, like, at the end of episode seven, you know, they, they meet this this assistant. And in sort of a roundabout way, it turns out that this this tea party, this, you know, this bakery thing that they the fairies were doing with all these clones of Mediator w- was being used by Assistant in order to develop a personality. Like, based on all these different things, all the different Mediators said, eventually he was able to develop a, sen- a sense of self. Uh, we find out that the, the shitty kid was, in fact, Grandpa. And some of the bananas just happened to send Mediator back, like, 30 years in the past, or whatever. Or, like, 60 years in the past, or whatever. Very long time. It was just an accident. Oops. So, uh, yeah, it turns out Grandpa was, a, was an old horn dog. Um, and that early in Episode 7, he says, oh, I got this, you know, this, I got this sundial watch from uh, a girl that I had met. You know, and it, you know, it turns out that he just stole it, like, he's a real asshole. And so, uh, <laughs> it turns out also this fucking, these two episodes are like a build up to a single pun. Cause they're talking about all the, the dogs and the whole assistant thing and this time, this time thing. And it turns out that due to some sort of magic, whenever a time anomaly happens, a, a dog is produced in the world in order to sort of like fix it or to sort of like, compensate for this this anomaly and assistant speaks the only lines he'll ever speak in the series just to say time paradog yep time paradog so the next episode the fuck out when i watched (laughs) this is i cannot believe this episode like it's super high concept it like weird shit's happening like it is very like different in a lot of ways and really hard to follow and it turns out it's all built up to this fucking yeah you, you could have remembered these episodes for like the psychological like idea of like that we create our personalities based on like how people are raising us expect us to be or you could remember time paradox and everyone remembers the second one <laughs> right like i i was talking to you after watching episode seven because i didn't know that episode eight was connected to it. i was like oh you know this banana episode is nuts and you're like no one remembers it as the banana episode, and I now know why. <laughs> Holy fucking shit. <laughs> fucking... Anyways, so, um, now we reach, uh, a single episode, um, stories. The first one is the fairy's survival skills, which is sort of this satire of civilization and the development of nations. So, due to overpopulation, uh, a number of fairies have sort of been isolated from their own culture like there are a number of there are like seven fairies that are hoping to seek asylum from from the other fairies just because they're being bullied and sort of mistreated due to this this spike in fairy population and these tensions because the this lack of sweets it's kind of it's kind of messed up actually (laughs) it's like you, you wouldn't think that these these creatures that can never stop smiling would ostracize each other but they definitely do yeah, and it turns out that the fairies are, like, capitalists. They're very into sort of, like, not this this whole, like, sharing thing. They're very into sort of working for it and all that. And then 
you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah, they have some interesting words they say. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so uh, Mediator is forced to help the asylum-seeking fairies find a new place to live so they can produce their own nation, not to be sort of like burdens or seen as burdens in this other one. But they're also very excited about taxation and subjugation when they when they start their new nation. <laughs> yeah, and oppression. Like, they're very excited about it. They're all into it. Um, except for one of them. One of them keeps trying to, like, you know, spread the seeds of communism and stuff and, like, working for each other. And pre- and everyone's like, that's stupid. One of them says shady research, very excitedly. <laughs> right. Um, so they 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 find, like, a, a deserted island kind of off the, the shore of the mainland that they live on. And they're excited to go. But uh, while they're talking about it, the dock they're standing on breaks and they just sail away um, <laughs> with no way to get back because, like, turns out the boat that they have also flooded with water. It's just bad. Um, on the way over there, uh, the fairies decide to name their new nation Fail Nation, thanks to the, uh, I guess, their attitudes towards <laughs> themselves and also uh, how they're ending up on here. They're both excited and depressed at the same time. <laughs> right. They are stranded on this island, and in order to kind of create a what, what they kind of see as the, the defining government, they decide to make Mediator their queen. She, she, she accidentally accepts. She would never have done so otherwise. But... <laughs> Right, Mediator talks about, like, ah, oh, shit, I fucked up by not saying no. And so the fairies start making furniture, they make it out of wood, like, they're, they're doubling. And it turns out that these, these fairies have suddenly become very happy, because whereas they were seen as burdens and extraneous before, they now have something to work towards. And Mediator is happy to have um, necessities for survival. Right, she's really happy to be pandered to. Um, That's and taken care of. <laughs> pampered, sorry, not pandered, but pampered. And so they're they're building infrastructure, and they they kind of talk about all these things they need to build. And Mediator starts kind of having it go to her head, like, "Oh, they want to make things like culture and religion." Is like, "Nope, take care of me." And so she gets really into the role of being a queen. <laughs> they they literally give her a stone slab, saying, "Like, should we make religion?" And he says, "No." Yep. No. And so uh, they are they're just populating and constructing all over everything being done for the sake of their queen. There's a naked fairy at some point. It's really messed up. Um, she's very happy with her new lifestyle, though. Civilization is booming. They've cultivated the land. They, they've just created, like, their own kind of micronation out of these fairies. And everything is just done for the sake of Mediator. And they start making uh, plants that do a lot of stuff, like coffee. Right. They, at some point, they actually make drugs. Oh, yeah. One, one of the, the shady research pays off when one of the them shows off an, a, a literal narcotic they've made. Yeah, and they, they show it off. It's like, hey, look what I planted. And it's like, oh, what's that? And he takes like a sip from whatever fruit is on this plant, immediately pisses himself and passes out. And it's like, oh, I built a narcotic. And they're just like, take it away. This sucks. Yeah, they, they literally, he, he's arrested for crime. Yeah, and within days, like it hasn't even been a week since they got here. There are 8,000 fairies. They've created this huge, you know, nation they're building monuments to Mediator. Because they, re- they really want to like, express like, their pride in, their, in the civil- their civilization. Right, and they're sort of just building like knockoff things from other cultures. Like They build a great wall and yeah, stuff. And by this point, Mediator is completely predisposed to having hot water available. Right, ha- happy to have hot water, happy to just take the land and just... She spends like all day making sweets for them, but that's okay because you know, she gets pampered in, you know, in response. Um, there's a little bit of discussion of, like, having gone too far, like, that the land is sort of being affected by all of this overconsumption and overproduction, but it doesn't matter, because it turns out that they found a way to make 
uh, candy plants. So they they give up all other farming and cultivation uh, for the sake of making more candy plants. And they make a lot of candy plants so that now Meteor has even less to do. She can be a couch potato. <laughs> right. Um, and it turns out that the eventually um, their, their excess does in fact destroy their little micronation, just like kind of overconsumption ended up killing humanity. In general, this is sort of just like a small version of that. Or even or even just like Jamestown with like tobacco. <laughs> yeah, they've produced way too many landmarks they, to wait because they wanted to waste time. Like they ran out of things to do because of all this cultivation. So they're like, oh, let's build lots of landmarks. And they end up killing the land and just like removing all possible like They've removed all the trees and stuff. It's it's bad. So at, that, at this at this point, Mediator realizes that if she wants to get off the island, they're going to have to break the monuments into a functional raft. And he, upon hearing the words functional and not aesthetically pleasing, the fairies go into a complete this funk and no longer want to do anything. Right. Like, they build the boat, but they can't leave because... Um mediators waiting for the end of this rain but it turns out that the rain just goes on for the week weeks and they just have nothing left like they've run out of all the resources at this point it's just a wasteland and it turns out that the rain is due to be again there are like eight thousand fairies and they they always emote or they've emoted before by having like little rain clouds appear when they're sad over them and it turns out that these fairies are producing literal storm clouds that because there are eight thousand of them have just created this never-ending rainstorm <laughs> due to, I guess, the weight of the water and just the destruction of the land. The island collapses, <laughs> everything goes to hell, and eventually everyone ends up drifting ashore. Uh, like, you know, they've, they've, this culture's been destroyed, everything's terrible, but they, they're alive. And uh, Grandpa and I think Assistant stumble on this and find out, you know, oh, you know, Mediator had this whole thing, did this whole micronation thing, it didn't work out, and the island that they were on ended up having several rare spicer spe- spider species that only existed on that island. So, oops, she killed, um, <laughs> you know, she killed some wildlife, uh, made it go extinct. Oops. <laughs> and that's why overconsumption and overproduction is bad. It's a pretty fun episode. <laughs> yeah. Episode 10 is, I think, technically the first one in the timeline. No. Well, I guess it's, the, it's, it's, it's her first one as a, as as a, having her job. Right. What this is the first time she yeah, this is her like first job. And it has no opening, so I almost felt like it made like this this sort of thing started to be out of order on purpose because it it's almost developed like a first episode would be. Mm-hmm. Like there's no OP kind of, you know, the single story kind of, you know, introduction to the world that is Maybe a little less in your face than the actual introduction we got. But um, she's sent to greet the fairies that live nearby in, like, you know, in um, junkyards and stuff. And she can't see them right now. It seems like they're all kind of in hiding, you know, new person, kind of wary. And something that's really charming is the person who had her job previously has this journal (laughs) that he kept to keep track of his interaction with the fairies. And it's it's um, presented like reading through like a video game journal, like in a Resident Evil or something. And it turns out this journal is useless because it's just like, oh, today I had this meal with the fairies and I had this food and this and that. <laughs> Worthless. But Mediator finds out from Grandpa that, you know, she has to increase the levels of fun in the fairy areas in order to get them to come out to be able to interact with them. 
And so she brings, she makes a little bit of candy, um, puts it in the middle of this junkyard next to, <laughs> next to a single flag. Like, oh, this has whimsy. <laughs> yeah, that, that's her idea of fun. She's not good at it yet. Right. Uh, Mediator sort of beefs first contact because she falls asleep and wakes up and there are just a whole bunch of fairies hanging out around this candy plate. And she like trips and stumbles into it instead of like, you know, very calmly moving in. So all the fairies are scared and run away. Um, except, except for three that are inside the, the trap that she set. Right. And so they get kidnapped. She kidnaps some fairies. And uh, we learn now that, you know, fairies pee themselves when scared, but the pee is like pure water. So it's like, it's not a big deal. Mm. Honestly, that seems pretty convenient. Yeah. But um, so because this is a scary thing, like they keep thinking that, you know, she's going to eat them or, you know, like kill them and do all these horrible things. Uh, she makes some candy and gives it to them and sort of fixes their, their ties. And here we're explained more to the idea that fairies are the new humanity. The current humans are kind of like stepping down to make way for the fairies. Um, and we learn that the fairies on their own are sort of a, a culture that just has like a, a collective consciousness. Like they don't, they don't know about their origins, like their birth. You know, they just kind of appear one day. Specifically, they, they don't have names. Right, they don't have names, they don't have a sense of, like, home. Like, she asks, how are we going to get home? And it's like, what's that? But they are still shown as, like, very intelligent. They just don't have really a, I guess they don't have a use for this sort of thing. So, it's kind of a cultural exchange at this point. Um, Mediator gives them names. Mediator's like, I'm going to name all the fairies in your area. Except, except, for, except for one of them who decides to be Sir Christopher McFarlane. Right, he, he names himself. And he's the one that looks like a pirate, so I guess of all the names, it's the most appropriate for him to go with. Yep. It's great. So, then when she returns to the dump the next day, it turns out it's been converted into, like, this future metropolis. Like, there are big robots and skyscrapers and stuff. Like, the amount of fun, I guess, that these fairies brought back with them has created this just boom. Like, again, as they have fun, they create more, and they, you know, they, they are referred to as a melting pot of culture and science that can be, like, set off really easily. So any amount of whimsy is able to, like, get them really working. So they've built Mecca, you know, they've started multiplying rapidly, uh, making it just impossible to name. They've, like, named Mediator as their god. <laughs> and so Mediator's like, well, I don't want to name you all, so I'm going to give you guys a naming dictionary, and you can choose your own name. And so again, everyone's like, oh... It's our god, oh, Mediator, oh. And um, they, like, make the statue in her name. And Mediator's like, I don't want to be god, so uh, Tag, you're it. And Tag's one of the fairies, like, you're god now. And the fairy gets really scared, and it's like, you know. And Mediator's like, no take backs. Everyone can be god only once. And so their civilization just gets destroyed and declines because of this, like, fear that anyone can be god and they're playing this huge tag match and eventually just the metropolis explodes yeah they, they just get completely distracted and, and it just, just raises the entire civilization yeah it's great um it, it's a really great ending like i this would work just as well i think as an opening episode yeah it did it, it introduces the all the theories and introduces her job and what human society is like now <laughs> and the just absolute like wild things that the fairies get up to so then um, episodes 11 and 12 are like a framing story that are like a flashback to uh, Mediator's school days. Um, I think this is the first time Y would show up in the story 
it's it's sort of like wise coming and mediator sort of reflecting on the first time that they met. So mediator enters school at ten, um, and I think she's almost ten. Not not that it not really matters, but I'm not sure if this is like to continue the gag that no one's named in this, or if it's like a genuine sort of like depressing thing that <laughs> like the the people bringing her into the school just go like. Oh, you know, welcome to school, Mrs. Uh, and then she just leaves. Like, I don't know if that's supposed to be part of a joke. I, I, I think, I think that's, I think that was intentional. Okay, like I couldn't tell if that was also supposed to be like partially pathos or not, but okay. So, on her first day, she ends up getting hazed and sort of like her doors changed shut, and she's been left all of these different riddles that are supposed to lead her to the key to her room. It seems like the the school is pretty well set up um, technology-wise. Like, they have this security drone and stuff, and, you know, they've, they've taken care of it. And um, Mediator starts to solve these these puzzles, these riddles, and eventually just asks the robot to, to get her into her room. And the next day, Y shows up, and Y is the one who ends up, who ended up putting all these uh, riddles together, and... She acts like just a real butthole to to mediator for not being able to solve them all fast enough and just giving up. And that's our first introduction to her. Why sucks uh, in, in this introduction. We learn that mediator is pretty isolationist, doesn't want to interact with people, just wants to kind of like excessively study to the point where she can get out of school as fast as possible. Yeah, so one the, like the what what sets this episode apart from all the other ones is that there are no fairies in this episode for almost the entirety of it, which means that like it's it shows only humans and how cruel they can be, like all the like mediators alienated, miserable, like hostile towards everyone. It's really like dark episode compared to the rest of it. Yeah, like it's it's shown that mediators kind of like bullied a lot for not wanting to interact with others. Like Mediator does not have, like, a holier-than-now attitude about it. She just doesn't want to do this. And everyone else assumes she has this holier-than-now attitude. But she's, like, it's kind of a problem where she's, like, too intelligent, so she's overthinking things and, like, right. like believes that any interaction would just, like, be wrong. Just, like, be the wrong course of action in this case. Because, I mean, like, things would go badly. Yeah, and despite all this, there's still um, one character, a, a blonde girl named Curly who wants to, like, be friends with her and constantly tries to, but... Yeah, this, this, this is where it starts to go, like, really bad for her, because this is where um, Mediator starts to, like, get so far in her own head. She believes that um, Curly is the one orchestrating the bullying with, like, this really unsettling metaphor while, like, Curly, like, talks to her in her room. And, like, like, I, like I'm, I don't know what you're thinking. Like, I, I'm not doing all this. And, like, while... Um, Mediator is like saying these things, like saying like, "Oh, I knew, I know that you know the you would be the one in the position to cause all this bullying." Like, there's a moth that like flies into a candle next to her and just burns up. Right, like there's this there's this idea that Mediator has as like this girl is orchestrating this bullying in order to get close to her in order to bully her more. Like this sort of like Mediator is very cautious and definitely sees other people as just like bullies like just sees everyone in sort of a negative light again not in a holier than thou thing but just sort of the world is out against me she doesn't she's so cautious she doesn't believe anyone could be friendly to her um like normally right in the middle of this mediator ends up meeting a fairy that lives nearby the school who's being harassed by just some rude like boys who go to school there 
and again, it, it's here, it turns out the meteor doesn't like not understand like friends or the joy of friends. She is just an isolationist. And she, she brings this fairy back to her room and kind of talks to her about it. And, you know, it's, it is sort of this familial, like, or sort of this friendship thing that they're doing. It's also like what maybe the darkest conversation anyone's had with a fairy in the series. Like they talk about lo- what happens when a fairy is lonely and it's like, the fairy doesn't know what the concept of loneliness is, but... Yeah, but the fairy talks about disappearing at some point, like almost a form of death. And mediator and fairy sort of bond over that. They do have this friendship over sort of the fact that they're both very alone. And the fairy points out, like, oh, hey, you know, I eating sweets might save me. Like, it, it might be that, you know, these fairies require eating. We're not sure right now. Then... We, we see more bullying and stuff. You know, she continues to, to push these other people away. And she ends up having this, this dream where she wakes up and she sort of admits to herself that while she thinks that everyone is out to get her, she desperately wants to, to find friends. Like, she can't keep up this facade of not wanting a human connection. And... Because she says this within earshot of the the fairy that she made friends with, the fairy does something. She the the, the fairy grants her wish to not no longer be alone. Right, and so the fairy disappears, and uh, that's on the day when Mediator advances to the next grade. So like breaking her apart from her old class, but it turns out now Curly is also advancing a grade. Yeah, and Mediator has forgotten that the fairy existed, sort of like. She sees that she made all these sweets, but she doesn't remember why at this point. So Curly ends up dealing with bullying as well, um, because she's so young. Like, you know, a lot of the older students are kind of getting the attitude with these younger kids who are coming through and sort of skipping these grades. Um, and eventually Mediator helps her out with a, a bullying um, sequence and Curly immediately becomes just super clingy <laughs> with Mediator to, like, a really, like, creepy degree. Like, almost immediately decides that they're going to be roommates and puts in, you know, the paperwork and forges her signature for it. Like... <laughs> Pretty unsettling. Lot, yeah, a lot of red flags there. <laughs> yeah, and so Curly then is like, hey, I belong to this thing at school called the Wild Rose Society, and they're doing a tea party soon. You want to show up? You can make sweets. Sweets go well with tea. And so, because Curly's a member, she can, like, invite people into the fold. And then we get to the last episode, and... I mean, Mediator's really changed now that she's, like, been introduced to the Wild Rose Society, and they've taken her in because, again, she makes these sweets. She's, you know, she's being sociable. And she's no longer being bullied because she's part of the that, that special club that only members can invite others into. Right, like, it, she's she's now, like... The, you know, the big person on campus. Um, and she's, like, taking care of herself better. She's, like, t- you know, taking care of her hair, which was wild and unruly before this. Yeah, everyone loves her cakes, you know, which she studied how to make them in the library. Uh, no one bullies Curly anymore, it seems. And they find out that Y was at some point a member of the Wild Rose Society, and she is referred to as an eccentric. Um, they... The Wild Rose Society sort of has their own code names for people. Y is known as Silver, and Mediator is known as Sweets because she makes sweets, and Y is called Silver because she has white so hair. So still no real names, but right. Um, so it turns out that Y 
joined because she was interested in this thing called the Fairy's Tea Party, which the society studies. But it seems like at this point in the, the society's existence, they're not really studying it. They're just sort of interpreting what they have and making, you know, assumptions based on that. Which, which is the academic way of saying we're doing nothing. Right. We're not doing anything. We're just kind of, you know, going along. So um, Mediator skips a grade and ends up in a class with Y. And Y is sort of like, you know, the, the, the brutally honest sort of person where it's like, hey, Mediator, you're fucking fake as shit when you're hanging out with the society. You, you know you don't like that. And, like, also makes this, like, vague threat of, like, you know, the Wild Rose Society is only beautiful on the surface. And later, we, we, we've been introduced to this idea that libra- the library is having books stolen from it. And it turns out, why is stealing all of these um, boys love books <laughs> from the library, which happens to be there, and hiding it in this, like, hidden room that exists um, from before the renovations were made to the school? And, you know, Mediator here shows that she can, like, sort of deduce all of these things. Like, she's very smart. Like, she finds out, oh, you know, there are these blueprints that have been ripped out of books from the, uh, from the, li- uh, from the library that are about this school. And, you know, putting these clues together about what Y's doing. And Y's like, oh, wait, but you couldn't solve any of my riddles from before. And Mediator's like, it's not that I couldn't solve them. I just thought they sucked, kind of. Like, should, her, her line of thought is that... The kind of person who would give, who would lock me out of my room with riddles, wouldn't stop at one riddle, and it would keep me going for like hours. So I just chose the easiest way. Right, and the second riddle like makes her wait until like Friday or whatever. Like it takes several days before she'd get her key, anyways. So. So she, it's more like more like she's she's smarter than even the person who made the riddle. So she doesn't even want to deal with its bullshit. Right. So it turns out why likes boys love. This is kind of the introduction to that and their friendship. Um, and Meteor takes Y down a peg, talking about, like, her library of homosexuality, and pointing out that, like, Y has this holier-than-now attitude, like, better than people, but she has this, like, hidden sort of, like, dark desire that would, like, show that she's just kind of like everyone else, like, she has her obsessions and stuff, like, she's not better than anyone. And then Y counters with, oh, yeah, well, you know, your friends, <laughs> they're even worse. <laughs> yeah, right, it's like, Wild Rose Society, like, I, I went there to try to make friends, but, like, turns out there's some fucking sinister shit going down there. And so, um, in order for Mediator to keep her secret, Y promises to give this information. And so, they sneak into each of the, um, each of the Wild Rose Society members' rooms, where they find, like, oh, one of them keeps diaries of every time they feel slighted by someone, and, like, you know, keeps track of, you know, these these bad things they're doing and kind of like this this weird sort of like hate diary. Um, which also is really funny because it seems like they write the real names of characters in these library in the in this diary, but every time it pops up in the dialogue, there's just this blood curdling scream that plays instead. <laughs> and like it's been censored out of the picture, so it keeps up this idea that they don't have real names. Yep. Then they see two other society members who are like seem to be like secretly like bonchos or like you know kind of thugs like they're they're definitely um leading double lives right like it's it's all this very like kind of violent thing and very rude about each other oh, they're, they're also literally drinking in, in their in their dorm <laughs> right it's very it's very sort of like delinquent kind of thing uh, one of them just saves delinquent's the word i was looking for yeah one of them just saves the, all the hair of every member yeah that's weird um and why is just or, um, not why 
And Curly is just like extremely obsessive. Like it's like there's this whole bit where um she's she's like, oh no, why you know a why mediator hasn't come back? And so she has this doll of mediator. Um she's just pouring tea that on she's you. like feeding and talking to, and then she just like tortures it. It's really fucked up. Yeah, she just tears it in half and starts screaming. Right, and why and why points out like ch- children aren't innocent or sweet, the weird ones are left unchecked, and that's sort of like you know, how this school goes is it gets all the weirdos. And so Y's been doing these riddle tests to kind of find someone that she could trust as a friend. And so I guess, you know, through this discovery, um, Y and um, and Mediator become friends, sort of? They, they, they decide to team up to improve their situation. <laughs> right, they, they decide that they're going to find the real fairy tea party. Um, they kind of reintroduce Y into the Wild Rose Society so that she has all that information. Yeah, so, and they also start, like, putting it on track so they're no longer uh, indulging in those hobbies. Right. And Mediator kind of, like, keeps keeps hanging Y's yaoi obsession over her head, like, <laughs> as if that's gonna hurt her, like, you know, the perception of other people. Like, people already think she's, like, a weirdo, eccentric loner. Like, I don't know how much farther you could go down. Like, oh, also she likes her library of homosexuality. And as we know later, that, that ends up... Um, going in her advantage in a very big way. <laughs> right. So they try to find this tea party. It doesn't work out. And eventually it turns out that they're the last class of the school. The school closes down after everyone's graduated from their year. And so they eventually give up on trying to figure out what the fairy's tea party was. They try to find the the source of the legend. And they find this, this room full of like maintenance robots. Um, where after seeing this mediator's memories of the fairy return, and she's sort of like, kind of runs around trying to re- remember now where this fairy was and, you know, how it, how this fairy seemed to, like, impact her life so much. The Wild Rose Society comes to an end. We are brought back to the, the current day. And Y returns, um, or, you know, Y returns into the regular timeline and hangs out with Mediator. Turns out that Y, um, before her government job, I guess, had a, had a job at the school after graduation. And during this time, she compiled together this yearbook, and she brought home that old maintenance robot that had opened the door for Mediator, and that Mediator had, like, kind of talked to, to sort of open up to, because she couldn't talk to anyone. And, you know, the fairy is living with Mediator, like, oh, we can fix it, but we can't restore it, because it doesn't have this soul. But then, surprise, the fairy that, um, sort of gave her this wish of finding friends was inside the robot the whole time. And there's this this great tea party with this little fairy that Mediator has. Which maybe that's the true fairy's tea party. One with friends. So then there's the special episode, which is real fucked up. Yeah. So the special episode is like a is a Blu-ray exclusive thing. It's cut up into like six parts. We're just gonna talk about it. <laughs> so at some point mediator is just like going through all this extra like random items that the fairies have been producing and leaving around she finds like a portable cloud she finds this totem that commits suicide she finds a right yeah she has like a sticker that brings it to life and turn turns out to turns out the trees don't that are cut up cut up into totems really aren't cool with it yeah and so she finds the spoon that seems to make flour from her head so she starts digging it out and kind of like oh cool, I've got all this flour I can make sweets from now. And after a point, she kind of 
goes unconscious and wakes up and she is the size of a fairy. And her sentences are being simplified as they go from the brain to the mouth, so she can't speak correctly, which sucks because Grandpa comes in and is like, Oh, hello, little fairy. Sorry my, you know, granddaughter isn't here to help you out. And she's trying to explain it, but she can't because of her simplified speech. So she now goes on a mission to find a fairy to help as she carries around this spoon that did this so that she can talk to them about this fairy tech. She ends up stumbling into this hamster civilization where she meets a hamster named Yameta, who is like talking about living here with their natural enemy nearby, which are beavers, I guess. Uh, weasels. Uh, right, you're right. Uh, there's a weasel attack. Yeah, she, she, she almost dies several times in this, in this special. Yeah, she, almo- she almost dies several times because of the weasels. There's a bird, I think. Yeah, the weasels kill a hamster named Muhan, who's got like an eye patch. This very big boss X. Extremely big boss X. <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, there's this huge fight with weasels. Uh, uh, a frog helps carry um, Mediator away from the battle. But it turns out that the frog is actually um, a fairy who, now that, I'm not sure if this is, like, from fairy to fairy, this is what they look like, or this is someone who has, you know, someone who has devolved thinks that they are, um, sees the fairies. But it's very, like, Bashonen, very, this, like, (laughs) pretty boy prince sort of thing. And they're also speaking complete sentences and not, like, fairy speak anymore. (laughs) Right, so they meet all of the fairies from before, like some of the fairies that have popped up constantly throughout the series, and they're all kind of and beautiful boys, very smart, and none of them know about what the spoon is, so they're like, whatever, uh, it's time for Mediator to have fun with her new fairy friends. Yep, and she gets a, she has fun sliding around with her pet ladybug, Algernon. Yep, and eventually, um, she, she tries to make sweets again by pulling flour out of her head, and it causes her to um, degrade even more. And so the fairies realize that the magic of the spoon is that it takes the thoughts of people and turns them into flowers. So, In other words, the intelligence. <laughs> right, so she has been becoming less and less intelligent because she's removing the intelligence from her brain and converting it into flower. But she has gotten to the point where she kind of forgets it immediately, they make it back to her house, and she's like, oh, look at all this flour. I'm going to make cookies. Yes, I think she literally gets to the point where she's too dumb to realize why she's scared, which is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, but she makes just enough of a realization, like, oh, these are my thoughts, to be like, oh, no, fairies, you can't eat these cookies. They're uh, poisoned, and so she eats them all. Alone. Many, many times her body weight, she eats them all alone. <laughs> right. And she eats all of the cookies and returns to normal, and... It seems like she's missing a few um, thoughts from her brain, but ultimately everything's okay. Yeah, maybe like 90% of her previous capacity. Yeah, that's good enough. Oh, and also, also during, this, during the segment where she's like kind of almost dying as, she, as her intelligence goes to zero, she like wonders if someone will feed her pet Algernon. Right. Just straight, straight out of that book. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. Um, it's great. But yeah, that's, um, I mean, it definitely feels like sort of a special, like it's not, it doesn't really fit with the rest of the, the stories in yeah, the same way. It's, it's, not a, it's not a narrative story at all, there's no reason it would, be, it would fit. Yeah, it's just kind of a cute little thing, and that's mankind's survival of the fittest, is what they call it. We also have a, we also have a note here that just says it's called Record of Hamster War, which is good. That's kind of what it is, like, 
that seemed to be the focal point is like this weird weasel versus hamster thing. Yeah, I guess I guess hamster society has significantly changed in the absence of humans as well, kind of. And that's Team Andy has declined. It's, you know, it's it is very episodic, but you can see sort of connections between each of the stories and there're definitely like themes that pervade. It's it's just very fun and episodic. Yeah, it's 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 good. I, I like it a lot, and it tells very different stories and has a lot of different themes through each of them, sort of in the way that it handles satire of, you know, of culture and kind of parody in a way that isn't, like, super heavy-handed. Like, it's not just, like, you know, you pointing at the screen going, oh, I get that reference. Like, it, it plays into what they're doing. Like, that whole manga thing, the reason that they're parodying things is because, like, oh, because it's popular. And they can do something with that to be able to mold it into their own thing. I mean, the story itself is literally a meta-narrative on top of itself. <laughs> right, so I think that, you know, the, the way they handle references in that is very good, because it's also not overstuffed. Like, you only really get, like, two or three, like, very direct references, and the other ones you would kind of have to, like, kind of pull a bit harder at it to be able to point to direct it to any one particular thing yeah it's definitely the sort of thing that they would add in an anime and like they would just kind of add it yeah i don't think you could like have a pose in a like novel <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely like yeah you couldn't just say and then they did the jojo's pose right <laughs> like it's it's definitely something that gets i think does get added i i think they had fun with it which is in the spirit of the show yeah they, they definitely had fun with the 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 production of the show based on this light novel. It's very, it's very cool. Very cyberpunk. <laughs> so, in this discussion bit, um, one of the first things I wanted to talk about is, is the world that it builds. Because um, it's, it is sort of a post-apocalypse. It is in the decline of culture and humanity and technology. Like, it is definitely like, the devolution, de-evolution of humanity and sort of like, we're getting to the point where, you know, we're losing all of the the development that we've made over these years. But it is, it is not a post-apocalypse in what you'd expect. Like, it's not it's not because of war, it's not because of, like, conflict, it's not because of this. It's like, just the, the overconsumption of humanity has just caused it to have to devolve a bit it's still a very charming world. It's still very colorful and sort of like everything has this sort of whimsy and, you know, fantastic quality to it. I, th I think that it actually kind of helps it be more realistic in that nobody really gives a shit that humanity is going down. <laughs> it's like, it's right. It's just, they're, they're, they're constantly just trying to survive. It's very interesting because I feel like with other stories like this, it would definitely paint a much darker picture, but like, it is very much about like trying, you know, trying to recreate the culture we found, which is why like, oh, they create all this boys love manga because that's the last sense of that form of culture that they can they can hold on to anymore because it's the only thing they can find. Like it is about sort of excavating these sort of beautiful like fantastic ruins and finding what parts of culture still exist. So it's like, it's very appreciative of the stuff that it's also like lambasting with, through satire. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's satirical and stuff, but it's it's still like 
not really revels, but it, it shows that like it has a love for the things that it's sort of making parodies about and things like that. Like the way that I put it was that it's like uh, what 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 makes it sets it apart from like every other kind of satire is that it's it's not mean about it. Yeah, like because like yes, it has things to say about like you know corporate culture and stuff, but it's it's wrapped in this package that still makes it absurd. Like it's it's not like oh, this particular thing fucking sucks. It's like, you know, oh, you know, this this corporate culture is kind of terrible, and also it's run by, you know, headless chickens, right? Like, and like me- me- meetings are never, never work, never hold meetings. The outcome has already been determined. Right. <laughs> Which is, I, th- I think about that, like, a lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and sort of the world is very, very charming and very, like, again, like, colorful. It's very alive. Like, you know... Everything is is built in this way where it's not like depressing. It's a post apocalyptic post apocalyptic story with an extremely pastel and happy uh, color palette. Right, and like you know, they have episodes where it's just like, oh, you know, they're traveling through this world, and suddenly like a chariot comes through. Like apropos of nothing, like this is what technology has left, and like oh, they found one car that still works. Like. There's a there's a sense of not only whimsy, but there's also a sense of like sort of the joy of discovery. Like, man, check out this cool thing we found from the previous culture instead of like trying to rebuild from like scraps of like happiness, like a lot of other stories about the post apocalypse would be. Hmm. It just sets itself apart by having this very like this this very kind of uh, happy sort of like whimsical tone to it. And the fairies help that a lot by never ever frowning. Right, and the fairies also sort of, like, play into this sort of, like, post-apocalypse. Like, they're they're trying to learn about culture from humans, and they're making this own bastardized version based <laughs> on, like, the bits that they understand. Like, it is a fascinating sort of discussion about what it means to sort of live in this, this devolved world and try to recapture in a way that, again, a lot of media just doesn't do. A lot of media focuses on sort of the negative of that, whilst this is sort of like, it's not great, certainly, but like, it's about the joys of rediscovery. It's about, you know, it's it's about sort of like how great it is to find these old things and, you know, reintroduce them into a culture that's lost them. And... That sort of builds into another point that I wanted to talk about, which is sort of like the different ways that these these characters try to revive culture. You know, the, the humanity has declined and, you know, they've lost a lot of their culture, but there are a lot of episodes about sort of trying to recapture media and things that were really important in a very different form of humanity. Yeah, it's interesting to see like what what gets passed around in like this post electricity era. Yeah, and it's 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 very meta for sure. You know, it's 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 telling these stories about sort of like again like the recreation of the manga industry, but they only know one genre, and so they're constantly trying to build new versions of these stories. But the only context they have is for boys who like each other more than friends. So. It doesn't matter what kind of story they're telling, inevitably, it becomes a boy's love story. And, you know, they build these, you know, they're building this convention about it, you know, there's suddenly this huge market going around, and, you know, these competing stories that they're trying to tell from each other. 
it's this fascinating look at how kind of in this particular sort of like post-apocalypse, how they're rebuilding, how they're, you know, recapturing the the joys and the the media of previous cultures. It's also kind of fascinating to see how the fairies like kind of have the bad qualities of humans like in miniature. Like like arbitrary like arbitrarily excluding each other, like the the whole editing thing, like where did they get that from? Right, like it seems like they they have learned a lot from humans and like they don't understand why humans did it, but they do it anyways. <laughs> like when they talk about sort of like going for capitalism and not wanting to, to you know wanting to build this sort of society where everyone helps each other. It's like this this weird holdover that they've suddenly captured because this is a thing that humans did. Like, you know, they're they're just trying to follow along and sort of be part of the action. Like, they see humans having fun, like, making manga, and so they're like, we want to do that too. Or they see, like, you know, humans trying to hunt for food, and it's like, well, we can wait and make food, sort of. And they, you know, make these, <laughs> you know, living dead chickens or whatever. It, it gives this very, you know, it gives two different approaches where the humans are based around sort of like trying to rebuild a thing that they've, they've lost, trying to recapture this. And the fairies are just trying to play along because they don't have a context for which to, to really like follow along. Meanwhile, the humans just complete failures at rebuilding while the fairies are overcompensating for it. <laughs> and like they, they, they go through the life cycle of their civilization in like five minutes. <laughs> Right, like again, like the 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 um the episode where they they rebuild that culture on that island within a week, they've already just reduced the 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 world to a wasteland. Like, and you know they're they're building these monuments because they know that monuments are what you do, you know, to to celebrate a culture, and they're just building like recreations of other monuments that they may have heard about. It's a really fascinating satirical uh, like tool with, with the fairies. Yeah, but again, never, like, pointed or mean. It's just, like, you know, it's showing sort of, like, the the mistakes humans have made, but faster and more absurd through the lens of these fairies. It also helps that the humans in the show pretty much don't really give a shit about, like, human history. Like, when when asked about, like, what, what, what are humans like, um, Mediator just responds, like, oh, we used to show off with some wars, but now we don't do that. <laughs> yeah, like... <laughs> And Mediator is a definitely a good lens for it because she's very, um. Dry. She's very dry. Yeah, it's very dry, sort of like, she does respond to things with reaction, but when she's talking about stuff, like, she is very, like, kind of dry and calculating, and she just, you know, she, she understands all too well, sort of like, the issues with human culture, but, you know, she's, she's going along with it because she can't change anything. Yep, just trying to survive and do what you can. Yeah, and it's just a, it's a it's a very fascinating lens because again we see sort of like, you know, people all the time are like, "I wish I had more time," and the fairies take this to this weird degree where like, you maybe realize, no, I I don't, it's certainly not in that way. I don't want the way that you know you get extra time, and you know you see you see it through all these different things. You see it through the fairies' earth where they they end up like deifying mediator and building this whole culture and because mediator doesn't want it she passes along to someone else and in the ensuing chaos of suddenly being held accountable for themselves and their own responsibility they just wipe out a metropolis that they built the day before like it is just a rapid um it's just a rapid like recreation of human history 
in some way. <laughs> Meanwhile, the humans project to recreate all human history just went fucking nowhere. Right, it's just like, hey, we found some stuff from old cultures. Hey! You wanna do anything let's celebrate. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, a satellite fell. We can get electricity from it. Let's party! <laughs> Though some of that could be pointed at the director just being completely incompetent. You know. I mean, why does find culture and tries to, like, ex- you know, spread it in its own way? Well, why and Mediator are both competent in their own interests and nothing else. <laughs> right. Yeah, Y and Mediator are sort of friends, and they are very similar. They 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 know that there's no reason to try. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're trying to have fun. Um, another another part about about this anime that is like pretty what made it unique to me is how experimental it is sometimes. Like how far they went for like a single fucking pun. <laughs> right. Okay. So. Um, Shaggy Dog stories are just, like, the, maybe one of the hardest types of humor to pull off, because the entire idea behind it is to, is to tell a really, really long story, just constantly do build-up after build-up after build-up for minutes and minutes at a time, and finally just end with a really shitty, and, like, usually, like, a very, like, pun-heavy, um, punchline. Like, it... It is all about the the way that it deflates. It's not even about having a joke hit. It's about making sure the joke doesn't hit really hard and really prove itself as a waste of time. So not the kind of thing that would ever translate to anime. <laughs> right, like what the fuck? But um <laughs> But so so with the 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 fairy's time management, like, there is a genuine story going on there. And like there, you know, it's it is building up the assistant as this character is building up this concept of how humans define each other and define themselves based on other people's expectations and what that means. But you also realize that they've been building this world. Like some of these mysteries exist solely so that at the end of two episodes, you have watched almost fifty minutes of television. At the very end, it just says "time paradox," and it explains why there have been so many dogs in the episode because each one exists to fix a time anomaly. It's all for that joke. And I think that's more impressive than anything because that joke also lands. It's hard to make a shaggy dog joke where the where it's really funny. Because a lot of them are in the form of like telling a really long story about a guy who got slighted at a, you know, at a circus and having to, you know, come up with these this the uh, a one-liner to really kill this clown when they meet up next time. And, like, you build it up for minutes and minutes, and the 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 end result is the guy shows up and meets the clown and is just like, fuck you, clown. Like, it's supposed to be about the non-punchline, but they really went out of their way to build a strong punchline for that. It also kind of works, like, in, in the, like, the physics of the world, because, like, it's, it's the fairies universe now. This is, this is when the satellites turn back and go back home and they're cats. And it, it entirely makes sense that this would happen. <laughs> Yeah, and like, and it's a pun that happens to happens to translate both in Japanese and English, like really well. <laughs> like, I don't know if that was intended. Oh man, I think it's just a miracle. <laughs> <sighs> man, and like to think about it, like the the main um, humanity has declined books are broken up into basically two stories. So this is half a book of build up. Also, like. You're reading chapters upon chapters trying to figure out things about the the time reset and assistant 
and what's going on with that. And again, you you get to the end, you get to the end of this huge story that's like half a book, and it's just time paradox. Like that's incredible. <laughs> that's incredible. It's so good. Uh, I like. I am honestly impressed by the the. You know, it does a lot of humor really well. It does a lot of dry humor. It does a lot of kind of you know, kind of wacky humor. That is one of the more impressive things that they could have done. I think. Like, I think that is a joke that lands so well, and that it's like its own form of its own form of humor that I felt like I needed to point out in its own fucking discussion <laughs> topic. Like, it is. Oh. Yeah, so like the, these kinds of anime, they're like, willing to go for something that's this crazy and and like commit to it are pretty rare. Like even then, they were rare. Like it's just, I, I'm I'm happy whenever I see something like the foot flappers or like even panty and stocking. This is willing to waste an entire episode on some dumbass joke. Right, and so it's like you know with with comedy anime in particular, like you don't always get a lot that are just like willing to go the extra mile to make jokes like anime comedy comes in a it is almost like a trope in and of itself like it is its own genre in that you know the structure of all these jokes but there are things like you know there are things like this there are things like daily lives of high school boys shows like that that really stretch the humor in different ways and try to build new punchlines and ways to you know kind of subvert expectations in a really fascinating way like this this handles humor really well, along with the other emotions it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Like, the only thing I felt was really weird about the show tonally is that they, they build up sort of the, the sinister side of the Wild Rose Society, <laughs> and then kind of don't do anything with it. Like, it's just kind of, wow, look at these weirdos who clearly kind of want to kill each other. And then just like nothing happens, they all graduate and everyone's happy. Like, it's... Uh, the, way I inter- the way I interpreted that was Wysan and the... Uh... And mediator like putting it back on track by making it like we we should we should actually research this fairy stuff like that kind of, it, 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 it like it gave them something to focus on aside from their neuroses their bad impulses right okay yeah and, no like, I can you, see you, that like, okay like, but, like, you can clearly see that like Curly has grown up like in like she's no longer like as clingy but still like just a good friend to both of them now and it might just be like a weird thing where that that was a much longer story in the book that they couldn't ultimately get into the anime. Mm. Or really show that that sort of development, though it does show. Um, I think one of the graduation pictures is of the the two delinquents, like married as they leave the school. <laughs> so I don't know. There is like some amount of development there. That's pretty good. So this is a point that you had brought up before, sort of like. The universe has changed thanks to the the evolution and the development of these fairies as new humanity. And we get kind of a that it's most prominent in sort of like episodes five and six. And I think one of the big things that really gives that idea is when we learn about the that book of fairy rules or whatever. We we get introduced to this idea that, you know, that the universe itself is being affected by fairies. Life as we know it has completely changed. Because now luck can be turned into sort of this whimsical thing. Like, no longer do people really have to die because the fairies are there to sort of turn everything into fun. Like, they actively avoid tragedy and things. Like, you know, you get attacked, nothing's gonna happen. Like, maybe candy pops out or whatever. 
you fall from a 20-story building, the ground just kind of bounces you up. Like, life, as the people, at least in Camphorwood Village, know it, has completely changed, and maybe they haven't even noticed it. Because it seems like they they kind of just roll with it, they kind of roll with their lot in life, yeah. and Mediator's the, really the only one who gets to know how much things have changed because of the fairies. Mm-hmm. So that might be something that's explored in like later light novels that were never adapted, possibly. Because that, that seems like that would fit more of the narrative arc, which is something that the anime definitely is not focusing on that much. Right, because it seems like at the time there wasn't as much of a narrative arc mm-hmm. to the stories. Like, if this is if these are the main stories from the first six books that they had to work with, it definitely seems like they wouldn't have had, you know, the opportunity to really see a um, uh, an arc like that. And uh, again, you brought this up as well is like with the fairies as the new handy with the universe changing. It seems like they've rewritten the entire universe. It's not just you know things that the fairies are directly involved in. You talked about how um, the the Voyager and the Pioneer you know, completely changed forms. They've more or less become like androids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they, the way they became androids and they like turned around from like being so far away from Earth and just turning around so that they can come back. Like that's that's definitely something that's definitely a fairy thing, but also it's, it shows like the like the ghosts of what human was when they have like the when they talk about the malfunction that that pioneer had that that, that actually was a real thing that happened. Right. Um, it, it sent like an un, un, un like in some sort of unknown data. So it's it's kind it's kind of like this this uh, the, the the point of the story is that is like some sort of blending like the like transistory period between humans and fairies. That, that really, really show that, like, the universe is no longer the humans. It's the fairies' universe. That's why their forms are so different, and that's why they were able to change direction, probably. That's pretty fascinating to explore. Yeah, because it's it's a scope thing. Like, yes, it makes sense that, you know, the, the fairies are directly impacting these people, but we don't know how many fairies there are in just the whole world. And the idea that their sort of, like, sphere of influence can go as far as affecting these things from space, these things that, again, were just, they were just like drones, like they had no, no self-awareness, they had no artificial intelligence before this, and they have kind of become like, almost like being functional in human society, like the, the ability for them to blend in, despite being like cat people, because you know what? When I first saw that there was a cat person in this, I'm like, okay. Like, I didn't even go, like, that's weird. Like, the way that humanity's declined has built up its world and sort of the, the, the nature of it, like, that doesn't seem weird. And then you learn more about it. And that's when it becomes weird. It's sort of like, oh, they're, you know, they're affecting this much larger space than just the town that they live in. They're affecting these things in space. They're affecting the way that, you know, like, technology and stuff develop. And you see that in the way they just build shit, too. Like, mm-hmm. they're building these conscious chickens you know they're they're building these rain clouds they're building things that can bring inanimate objects to life and then they commit suicide because it's horrible the their lot in life like it's it's a it's a fascinating way of tying in sort of the more whimsical aspects with a narrative that i think works really well like everything feels justified like, at no point you don't go just like, oh, well, that doesn't make sense within the world's rules. Like, the world's rules are so indistinct <laughs> that everything ends up coming out 
looking good, like making sense, like uh, feeling justified. Mm hmm. And so the last topic uh, is one that you sort of, when you sent me like, oh, I want to do Humanity as a Client, you sent this as like, this is going to be the discussion point that I want to do, which is why the anime changed the, the order of the stories compared to the book order, which is a much more chronological version of these stories. The anime kind of, you know, mixes it, mixes and matches and sort of starts you in the middle of the story and sort of, like, develops backwards afterwards. So I guess I'll talk about my personal theory that I developed since watching the show. Um, it's basically, I think the anime's ordering is, is trying to give you time to digest and speculate about what exactly the fairies are and then, like, lead you into that based on, like, how many fairies are in each episode and how much they affect each episode. So, like, in the first episode, the fairies are, like, like you can actually see them. The only time you see them, they're, like, half in shadow. They're mysterious. They say these really, like, screwed up things, and they never stop smiling. And, like, once when, once you've seen that as a first episode, you're, you're wondering, like, what's up with those fairies? They seem kind of sinister. Right. It, like, really, like, puts you into one of the, like, not, I mean, it's not, like, the wackiest episode for sure, but it is, like, low is low concept enough for you to understand what they're doing because it's about like corporate culture it's about mm -hmm. sort of these developments but it's it also works as sort of like a in media res introduction to the world like you are expected to just be like you know all the all the characters are already like way too familiar with the fairies and the state of the world and everything mm -hmm. and so you're left at least to start to like wonder like oh how did this happen where do these pieces fit what are the fairies points and all this and I think it does that really well. So, like, the first arc has, like, mortal peril and, like, some pretty messed up technology with the carrot bread and everything. Mm -hmm. So, like, when, so, like, the first impression it gives, like, that people, like, would, if you wonder what people shared in, like, the first few weeks of this, of that, of the show airing and, like, throughout its t entire run, they just shared pictures of those fairies with their permanent smiles. <laughs> and, like, with, with, like, open bracket screams internally, close bracket. Mm -hmm. So, like, when you get to the second arc, it also has, like, some sort of pseudo-peril. They don't know if they're going to die if they uh, if they get cancelled. And the fairies are still, like, in the shadows. They're in the margins. They're not, like, in the... They're not, like, primarily inside. Like, we don't really know what's up with them. Right, like, they are affected by that technology, but they are not... Um... They're not in the spotlight yet. Right, the fairies are not the spotlight, it's just, like, they have to deal with the aftermath of these fairies, kind of like the first episode. So, around the around the electricity arc and the time management one is where they start to explain exactly what the Prince of Fairy does with that manual, and the whole, like, um, F-numeral system. Um, the day, they're, they're ha they have dangerous situations, that, but then they show that the presence of fairies makes them turn silly whenever they multiply and proliferate into an area... Even though sometimes it can be taken a little too far, it's still, like, safer, kind of. Mm -hmm. um, so this goes further into, like, survival skills and fairies earth, which both heavily feature this hit the, the, uh, the fairies and, like, it, you know, like the population of 8,000 on an island just doing, doing their own crazy thing. And they're not, they're, like, all the way in the spotlight at this point. So then the last two episodes, starting with the secret tea party, is when they, they really take away the fairies. And they show what happens when there isn't a fairy in this story. 
and it's downright dark and cruel and like something i noticed on rewatch was uh whenever the that mint green fairy is around there's like these cartoony sound effects and then like when like that fairy is out of out of place like the sound effects come like really blunt like like the why kicking a mediator is like kind of brutal it's like the, the, the cartoony sound effects just go away when the fairies are not there and like and in that episode, she talks about the talks to the fairy, like really frankly about like loneliness and like what death means. And like, but, but like in the aftermath of when the fairy grants her wish, things are still bad. Like the Wild Rose Club is not like great, and and it's still a little crazy. But she's not alone anymore, which is the important thing. Mm-hmm. And it's and that plays a little bit more into sort of like you know, really bringing home that the fairies don't quite have the same understanding of human culture as they do. Cause it's like, Oh, well, we'll let you meet some people, but it doesn't matter if these people are crazy or not. Like, so I think the reason that they ordered it this way is to show that the series isn't about the humans at all or, or their decline. It's about introducing the fairies. So like they introduce them as these mysterious troublemakers, but they eventually show that the fairies capacity for kindness and intelligence is like way beyond what humanity was ever capable of. Mm-hmm. With like this, this like single fairy that like spent multiple years in a robot just to grant the wish of a single friend. And while the you know the fairy's Earth would have made like a a decent first episode as well because it is sort of like your introduction and the character's introduction to it. If they then didn't go in chronological order, that would be where it's confusing. Is you start at the front and then mess it up. If you mess it up from the start, mm-hmm. I think you have a lot more freedom in how you want to tell the story. I, th- I think that by ignoring the narrative arc of the light novels, they can characterize the fairies and set up a climax in episodes 11 and 12, which, and like, if mm-hmm. like if, they, if that was the episode one and 12, if we, I mean, that was the episode one, we wouldn't have had the basis to really appreciate them. Cause we wouldn't like have seen like seen like what they can do, like how they interact. Cause it's, it's a pretty complex uh, element. Right. Like episodes 11 and 12, like fairy secret tea party is depressing so like I, so my so like the tldr of like what i think about this is they, they did it so that you could appreciate the fairies because mm-hmm. like if if 11 and 12 if fairy secret tea party were the start it's super depressing and you really don't get like a good idea of what the fairies are about from it like the one fairy is sort of whimsy you know about it and sort of this like one break from it I mean, I, you you could you could do it as introduction, but it wouldn't have the same level of just like gravitas. Like you wouldn't realize like what a fairy is and how they are. Right, and it doesn't get to the core of what I think it makes the you know makes humanity has declined so strong. But it it, it just hits so much harder when you have that when you have that um, foundation. And you know we wouldn't get there's like no real comedy in the in that story. There's no real sense of sort of like strong satire or, you know, parody or anything like that. There's no commentary, really. Um, and it doesn't really inundate you with what the, the, the post-apocalypse really means. It's sort of like, this is just like a dying school. Like, this could be told in really any situation. But I think by putting it later and, you know, having it be a flashback after you've already made your connection with the fairies really does show sort of the the way that the the introduction of the fairies changes how the world then develops. Like you said, like it 
if you don't have the context for what fairies can do, you don't understand the difference in how bleak it is coming from, you know, in, in episodes 11 and 12, where there just aren't any and humans are left to their own devices. And it's just mm-hmm. kind of a nightmare. You know, it, it is it is the post-apocalypse that the rest of the series avoids, basically. Mm-hmm. Because it's not it's not colorful, it's not exciting, it's not weird. It's just depressing. And so I think, you know, um the you know, you could you could mix up maybe some of the middle episodes in whatever way you want, but I think starting out with the secret factory works well because again, you you get basically all of the main characters in there besides Y, and Y is introduced in the next one. And you get basically the, you know, it's it's fairy co. You still get an idea of what the fairy magic is. You still get the sort of introduction to what they can do without getting bogged down with that information. So they can take the time in the middle to be like, okay, well, you saw all this weird shit. Now let's sort of explain why it happens and, you know, what's so important about the fairies in human culture. So that's my theory, but like from what I've seen online, I don't think anyone else agrees with me. <laughs> what? I mean... I mean, I haven't really looked that much online, but it seems seems like everyone has their own theory. So I was interested in like what you came up with. Yeah, and I didn't, um, and I didn't see a lot of opinions online that were like really like negative about the the uh, the structure. In fact, people I saw a number of people being like, uh, maybe watch the anime before you read the books, like as if it Ooh. were a better introduction to the series. Which is that's pretty fascinating and interesting to wait. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing to look at. At least that came from uh the whatever subreddit handles anime rex um i don't know um but yeah it's it's a series that i think knows how to start out strong because it and i think you know you could you could give this to the people who are doing the anime like they really understood how to set up the story with what they were given because again it doesn't seem like they were given a whole lot mm-hmm. so they took what they had and they're like well, we're going to put it together that fits uh, a, a structure more befitting it where you're you're kind of brought in immediately into the insanity of the world and eventually it builds to sort of an, an understanding and appreciation of the world later. Yeah, because like one thing I've, I think I've noticed with everyone who sees this show is that they're not conf- really that confused about what the fairies do. Like it, that, that's the one thing this show gets across really well. When like it, it can be confusing during time paradox or... <laughs> Those two episodes just revealing what that it's that it's Voyager and Pioneer. You could not open with Homecoming or Time Paradox. <laughs> I think those two are so like about knowing already what's going on in the world. Especially with the Fairy's Homecoming being about like that fairy manual, the survival guide where, you know, all these things happen because the fairies exist. Like, you can't start out with that, and you certainly can't start out with time management, because it's <laughs> it's certainly the most heady story it tries to tell. And if you tried to open with that, people would be too confused to continue on. Mm-hmm. So I think, it, I think it does balance these stories well, because if they're going to do it out of order, this is a great order for them to do it in. Because with the first episode, you're introduced to all the main characters. Second, or, you know, or first story. Second story, you get introduced to why, and you're introduced to some of the more, like, wacky things that fairies can do with their magic. And then in Homecoming, you know, the fairies play this more prominent role. We learn more about the world and them. 
time management. We get fucking time paradox, but also you get like, you know, you, you get to be introduced to who assistant is because assistant is a very non-character, a, a non-character, but also just a weird character um, in general who doesn't get extrapolated upon a non-character with a very strong sense of self. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's that, and it's, you know, and then the other ones just kind of build into that more. It's about what the fairies do in humanity. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, that's, that's humanity has declined. Um, I, I wasn't sure what to think about it, especially given just what people said about it early on, but it was... It's a good series. Uh, I'm really happy that I, I got the chance to watch it. I'm glad you let me come on here and talk about it with you. Yeah, always glad to talk to people about the things that, you know, really excite them. And it helps me find these series that, like, maybe I know cursorily about, but I don't really have, like, you know, the the, the, the bigger knowledge about and get to get to find something really interesting or neat. Yeah, this, this one was, like, on the top of my list for hidden, hidden gems. Because <laughs> Humanity has Declined is also, like, it really defies a lot of what you expect out of, like, light novel adaptations. It kind of hit before, I think, the, the isekai boom really did, and, like, you saw, like, more light novels come out about that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so it it is sort of like a, a gem. And that actually plays into the fan mail we got, because before we go, of course, we gotta talk about fan mail. This one comes from friend of the show, Onlerin. Thanks, Onlerin. It says, How do you feel about light novel anime adaptations in general? And do you think there is any room for more like Humanity Has Declined, or will we just get more and more of the same isekai or school battle harem adaptations? And I think... Thank you, you know, Onlerin. Th- thanks, Onlerin. Uh, I think, like, you're always going to see people follow trends, and you're always going to see people sort of, like, try to cash in on popularity. And, you know, Sword Art Online really kicked off this sort of, like, isekai genre that's gotten to the point where it's so overstuffed, they have to do, like, weird things with the stories to try to make them stand out. And, you know, School Battle Harem has existed long before light novels, and it will never die because there's always an audience for that. There's the same audience over and over, but they exist. Um, But the thing is, like, the more anime that gets produced, the more things they have to start pulling from. There have been plenty of... There have been plenty of light novel adaptations since and before that are you know are something distinct they're really different from what you start to um associate with light novels like dirty pair is a light novel and you know that was way early and super you know is super different from what you'd call light novel material you know real books are being translated into anime now and so that has a whole different audience and so you get different expectations from that like just cuz the thing is a light novel and just because it's so overstuffed with the same tropes over and over doesn't mean that that's all you're going to see you know it's light novels appeal to a very you know it, it they're kind of you know uh marketed toward a very specific set of people but those specific set of people are also going to be looking for new things all the time Humanity has declined does a good job because it is a it is such a stark difference in like even tone from your knights and magics or you know you're in another world with my smartphones just to pick a couple from this season like 
And you even see, like, distinctions from more general, like, light novel fare, like, um, a restaurant to another world is kind of, like, its own distinct thing, because it is sort of, like, you know, another world, sort of, like, fantasy genre, but explores it in a way that isn't just, like, fighting and going your way through, like, a fantasy world. Like, it, it takes its own distinct um, format to go through that, in, and it comes from a light novel. I think it's unfortunate that we follow these, like, these popular trends that kind of suck, but, like, that's just, that's just media, my dude. <laughs> like, unfortunately, that's just how things go sometimes. But, yeah, there's, I, I think there's totally space for, you know, new exciting things in light novels and manga and anime and all that stuff. And it just happens that, you know, and especially for people who aren't, like, me and spend too much time thinking about anime like it does kind of get um pared down to sort of like those sorts of genres and stuff just because that's what becomes popular and that's what comes over so much but yeah there's totally there's totally a space um in this medium for innovation for sort of like these very distinct different stories and it's been happening you know more you know more often than not um Recently, I feel like recently there have been like a a bigger development of like of like sources that people pull from to make anime that are like different or interesting. Like even if they don't always pull it off, I think the attempt is is something that's worth talking about. Like I don't know, like uh, Vatican Miracle Examiner from this season is a real ass book, and man, the anime is kind of rough pacing wise, but it is doing its own damn thing and does not care about like convention in a way zones <laughs> everyone should watch yeah it. <laughs> no i i'm not saying it doesn't own but like it is it is bucking a lot of mystery trends it is bucking a lot of pacing trends yeah. and it is its own distinct thing that is it is at least different and you know that's that's not the only example like things have been different for a while like the way you know mystery is handled all different ways like a uh, fucking uh, Perfect Insider, I don't think really stuck a landing, <laughs> but it was doing its own distinct different thing. Like, there are these things, and it's just, it's just hard because you have to, like, dig through a lot of copiers to be able to find sort of the unique pieces. Is there anything you wanted to say about that? I realize I've been talking a lot. I'm kind of on the opposite end. Okay. I think that light novels have always sucked, but... Uh, just like Wow, damn. Like, I, I, never, I never liked the rail decks or any of that stuff. The one that has like a thirty billion volumes and had like a four four seasons of anime. That guy's nuts though, because he's been writing. He's like four series, and he's been writing one book a month for like five years now. Like he yeah. has never taken a break. He is fucking insane. And, and on the other hand, on the other hand, we have like Kiwani, which 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 was the one doing those those uh, interesting light novel adaptations, and then eh, some of them not so good, and then a few of them a little weird. But also, like, um, on the horizon, like, we have uh, Kino's Journey again. Like, more of that was, mm -hmm. is pretty good. There's definitely a lot of that we, that they can do, make good. Um, there's a, um, the new thing Kiyoani's working on that's, like, apparently the f it was one of the first uh, light novels they produced that they've been trying to do for a while via Violet Evergarden. So, and like, that I, seems I think, really interesting. Yeah, so I, I think that, like, light, a lot of light, light novels, there's, there's always been bad light novels. It's, it, it hasn't, like... This isekai... Uh, I mean, like, all media. This isekai trend is nothing new. 
But also, in, in the other same way, that there's always going to be uh, outliers that were just good things on, on top of that. That we and also like even within the genre, sometimes there are good things. Like Log Horizon's not that bad, I guess. Eccentric Family, very good. Yes. Also a light novel. To Tommy Galaxy. I mean, I'm not saying that like light novels are great. I think a lot of light novels and the adaptations they get are bad. Um, and that's just you know, but that's all media. All media has lots of bad things in it, and you just don't pay attention <laughs> to them. The issue is when something's really bad in anime, people talk about it because it's really fucking bad. And so, like, yeah, there are good light novels out there, and I'm always excited when there are, because I, I like being Charms. surprised by that. Is Forest Fairy 5 a light novel? Forest Fairy 5 is a picture book. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe? That's kind of a light novel. It's the lightest. <laughs> it, is, it is something, all right. In terms Oof. of weight, it is by far the lowest. <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, you're going to see a lot of light novel garbage, and but there is there is good light novel stuff out there, and it's just... It's about being willing to to look for the good stuff amongst all the trash. Because, you know, you get people talking about, like, eccentric family, especially with the second season, like, how great it is. You don't get a lot of people talking about humanity's decline, and that's a shame, because I think it's a lot better than the, the typical kind of light novel adaptations you get. And it's it does a really good job of being its own distinct thing, and it sucks that more people don't know about it. Mm-hmm. That's why we had this podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's why Jordan and I wanted to do this single-serving thing, sort of. And I'm glad that I can continue it, you know, even though he's uh, he's been put in prison or whatever we made for the canon. I don't remember. I'll fix it. All right. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's been great talking to you, QB. Thanks for letting me on. Yeah, glad to have you. Glad to talk about this. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Um, Twitter at QBay. And also I post on um, the semi-official Vanilla Blessing account. Whenever I have something I want to say about Twin Angel Break. Right, at vanilla-blessing.tumblr.com. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, and you can find me at Chorpsway on Twitter, C-H-O-R-P-S-A-W-A-Y. You can find me on YouTube also by searching that. Uh, You can can find the Coco Disaster Twitter online at Coco underscore Disaster. And you can find our website at CocoDisaster.com, which is pretty kept up to date, has links to the Vanilla Blessing side blog that me and QB do that's just kind of like where we talk, where we do uh, infrequent writings about things that we don't have time to record or you know go you know do it in a different format but yeah um next up uh i miscounted it's not going to be for halloween but i'll pretend it's halloween in september is uh an episode on satoshi khan's paranoia agent so if you have any thoughts or questions about that that you want to send in you can send that to tropswaysa at gmail.com and uh we'll read them on air and we'll talk about them and we promise that will make you look good while doing it. But anyways, this has been Coco Disaster. This has been a single serving for Humanity's Declined, and I've been Torps Away. I'm QB, still. And sweet dreams. Did I press the pause button or the stop button? Stop button.